I'm Kyle. And I'm Trevor. And welcome to Catching Up on Cinema. Uh, if you aren't familiar with the program, Catching Up on Cinema is a film analysis podcast wherein we introduce each other to films, expand our cinematic horizons, and, in essence, catch up on our cinema. So, it is the month of September 2021, and we are in the midst of our Masterclass Month. Uh, essentially, what this means is we're going to be devoting an entire month uh, of our energies towards exploring the depths of a cinematic film franchise. Uh, in this case, we've been talking about the Indiana Jones film series. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, of course, we kicked things off last week with a review of Raiders of the Lost Ark from 1981, which, of course, brings us to this week, wherein we are reviewing Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom from mm-hmm. 1984, of course, directed by one Steven Spielbergo. <laughs> <laughs> Steven Spielrock. <laughs> So, Kyle, where, where do we start with Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom? Well, it's funny, 1984, I can't list all the movies that came out in 1984, but that was a huge year for uh, uh, a lot of my favorite metal albums. Oh. <laughs> and uh, a lot of really good movies came out in 1984. Uh, this one, not so much, but... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I, I don't know. I guess our history with it, uh, we, could, we could start with that. Yeah, sure. Uh, so... We'll give a little bit of background. We did this mostly at the the front end of the Raiders of the Lost Ark episode. So basically, Kyle and I broke down our our personal history, not just with the film in question, but with the franchise as a whole. So all four movies, including one that we, well, I'm personally kind of dreading having to talk about, but uh, point is we both talked about our personal relationship to the character and the franchise. Um, and in general, Temple of Doom. Uh, is regarded as the the least of the original trilogy yeah. of Indiana Jones films. <laughs> there is, of course, one more that came after that. Again, we don't we don't readily talk about. Uh, that is often regarded as being far worse. Yeah. Um, but yeah, in general, most people agree that Temple of Doom is the least of the original trilogy. And in fact, the director himself, Steven Spielberg, uh, tends to agree. Uh, in interviews, I've seen the man kind of shit on the film in some in some regards like he he's not fond of looking back on it and one point that i i meant to make when we were talking about raiders in that two hour and 45 minute conversation (laughs) so forgive me for not making every point i intended to um was that in interviews with steven spielberg i thought it was really really charming that the way he referred to raiders was as a film that he he can fondly come back to as as an audience member Mm-hmm. Like he actually enjoys watching his film. Interesting. He can dis- he he's at a place in his life, like whenever that interview was recorded, probably in the early two thousands, where he can check his check himself and his relationship to the film at the door and just sit down and be like, "This is a fun ass movie." Nice. Whereas Temple of Doom, he's like, "Yeah, I I didn't I don't really like that one. Like I I I'm not I'm not very proud of it." Um, and in fact, the the one thing that he can point to as being a, a pure positive that came out of the experience was he met his future wife on the set. Uh, that would be Kate Capshaw, who yeah. plays Willie in this film. Um, but uh, yeah, we should talk about, uh, you want to talk about the history of the production or our relationship to Temple of Doom first? I second talk about our relationship because mine will be really quick. Uh, so Temple of Doom, I watched bits and pieces of as a kid. I think we might have watched it all the way through like one time and it just didn't really resonate with us, at least with me. Uh, maybe Nick watched it a few more times. Uh, but I didn't watch it again until I was an adult, and I was just like, eh, this is not that great. I was kind of having trouble paying attention. So uh, a couple days ago when I rewatched this, this is only my third viewing of the film. 
and I I did have a bit a bit of trouble uh, paying attention to it. Um, it's a little sluggish for me, um, but as we were saying before, uh, I do think that the uh, the end of the film is actually a lot of fun. Um, yeah, I I think that's indisputable. Like the movie does have a has an interesting structure and pace to it. But like whatever faults the film might have, I think a lot of it is bailed out somewhat by just the quality of the stunt work and the creativity of the set pieces. I was gonna say the set design is bananas. Thank you, Kyle. Yeah. I'm glad I'm glad you keyed in on that because folks at home, you may not be aware, but Kyle pile, Kyle pops the biggest of boners for lighting Oof. and production design. Those yes. those are his jams. Boner. Yeah, sets <laughs> and lights. He's a big fan of both of those things. Yes. <laughs> but and this movie has those in spades. In fact, you could argue maybe some of the most impressive uh, on both fronts for for maybe the entire franchise. Like for what it's worth. Um, for me personally, the Temple of Doom was was one of those movies that that carried a, a heavy rep. Like it had a mm-hmm. reputation on the on the playground, like at school, where it's like, oh, Temple of Doom, that that's the scary one. Like that's the one that you don't get to see until you're a little older. Like kids were fans of Indiana Jones, but it's like, oh, but I haven't seen Temple of Doom. Like my my mom and dad, they won't let me watch Temple of Doom because that's the one with the the. <laughs> that's the one with the heart rip stuff see i was jaded at a very young age because i think i've mentioned on this on the podcast before i saw predator 2 at a very <laughs> very very young age so everything after predator 2 is like well, this is not even this isn't that bad Jeez. <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah kyle started with the hard stuff and worked Ooh. his way back because <laughs> no, yeah predator 2 has some stuff that even to this day, it's like not every movie has that. No, no, it's it is a fascinating film. <laughs> Fasc- choice Fasc- words. Yeah, fascinating. <laughs> um, but yeah, for for my early early childhood, that's what Temple of Doom was. That was the scary action movie. That was mm-hmm. the one that like I was intimidated by. Like when I'd pass it by, like the the VHS cover art at the grocery store that, yeah. and stuff. And like I seem to remember my brother like teasing me about or something maybe a little bit we we had stuff like that like et famously he he told me that the opening of that movie like et's chest bursts open and he starts like shooting lasers at people or something so it's a it's a family story that uh my parents i don't even know if they've ever seen et front to back <laughs> because that film was so wildly successful and in fact came out between the release dates of raiders oh and really yes i didn't realize that so massively successful that it was one of those movies that actually got multiple theatrical releases interesting because it was that bankable um and the story goes they took my brother and you know it's a it's a charming children's movie made by Steven Spielberg. And I guess my brother was a baby and he started screaming during the opening when E.T.'s chest is glowing. Uh, When E.T. first meets Elliot in the backyard, that is one of the scariest things that I watched as a kid. See, they didn't even get that far. Oh my gosh. Like, my brother apparently couldn't get past the the men with the flashlights looking for the aliens in the woods. That's a little spooky too. I mean, that's Spielberg's talent as a director. He he, He loves creeping out kids like he loves scaring kids yeah <laughs> et just like bah, like gobbling his way up to elliot in the backyard and he's just like terrified michael mom like, <laughs> and like some of the noises et makes like that shriek is it's like it's like the equivalent of like hearing a dog get kicked or something yeah. it's just like, it's triggering yeah uh, to, to use the right word i guess but, i have to go back yeah but yeah apparently i did the same thing when we when they like rented the movie so really? my parents were just like, apparently our kids just can't fucking <laughs> handle E.T. kids are fucked up now. <laughs> our kids are both fucked. Irreparable damage. 
but Temple of Doom, like I, th- I seem to recall maybe my brother amping up some of the more intense moments gotcha. for it, like telling me they were a lot worse than they were. Yeah. Uh, I, I remember we had like a little comic book of it, like a comic book adaptation that my brother had, and I remember flipping through some of the pages and like covering my eyes because like the 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 Kali statue I thought was really scary when I was a kid. I can see that. I was like two or three, man. Like yeah. I, I, my memory's weird. I, I have, I actually have memories from very early in life. I actually do too. I have some. I have some. I think that's kind of cool, actually, because yeah. very few people seem to have that. I know. I, I'll taste. I'll, I'll like uh, throw stuff at my brother. I'm like, you remember that? He's like, I have no recollection of that. I'm like, how do you not remember that? Yeah. How do you not remember that? <laughs> <laughs> I remember it clear as day. Yeah. <laughs> um, but when I did eventually get around to seeing Temple of Doom, it was probably way later. Mm-hmm. Um, Raiders, I think, was the first one I saw. Last Crusade, very shortly thereafter. Raiders was the difference maker because we had that on bootleg VHS, so I could watch that as much as I wanted. Mm-hmm. The other ones, not so much. Not until my grandma got me that VHS box set of the special editions, the cleaned up VHS versions, and mm-hmm. that was how I finally saw Temple of Doom. And I thought it was fine. Like yeah. I, I thought it was a lot more childish than I was expecting. Like I, I thought it was going to be grim dark all the way through because of everything I'd heard. But it's actually kind of similar to like a Thor Ragnarok where it's like simultaneously probably the darkest chapter in that series, but also the goofiest. It's a very strange one-two punch of tones. I'm, I, I'm not a fan of like a huge fan of the MC, but I love Thor Ragnarok. A lot it of is, people feel the same it's way. It's excellent. I really enjoyed that film. It's very different. It's very uh, confident. In mm-hmm. the in the style of storytelling they they want to bring forth, like Taika Waititi seems to be on on a hot streak right now, like like uh, like few others. Yeah, I mean Jojo Rabbit was a, I had my I was skeptical about it and going in I was like I don't know about this. You know, the, the, the people that hand out awards liked it. I personally didn't bother with it. It's fine, you can skip it. Yeah. <laughs> I mean that's kind of where I'm at with it. There's too many fucking movies out there. I'm I I have, as an adult, I've finally made my peace with the idea of me not being able to see everything yeah so it, <laughs> it's it, fine yeah so it's okay if i miss things it's just too much there's just too much there's stuff. just too much there's shit too out much there, guys <laughs> which is why we talk about movies from the 80s exactly. it's way <laughs> they came out before either of us were born yeah um but yeah temple of doom i i knew it mostly by reputation then when i finally saw it i tend to agree that it's the weakest of the original three indiana jones films however i do find it relentlessly entertaining at times like it has a momentum in its second half that is hard to ignore and i think because the script because of the the liabilities in the script like its weaknesses i think it actually makes it one of the more watchable ones because you you can passively enjoy this movie you can can i was sweeping this morning with the movie on the background and I was just looking up when I heard thwack, yeah. and I was like, "Oh, okay." <laughs> I didn't miss a beat. As you say, this isn't like a nostalgia one for me, but there's a strange coziness to it for me. Um, yeah, yeah. As I was watching it, I'm like, I kind of feel like I'm a kid. Like I feel like I'm at home watching this, even though this isn't one that I put on a lot. Yeah, I, I actually had the same experience uh, introducing the film to my girlfriend last night. Was like, it did kind of feel like. I was a little kid watching movies late at night with my friends or something. And it's not so much the film itself, like the the story or the the movie itself. I think it's the production, and yes. I think it's the practical effects that kind of bring you back to childhood when this was what we were watching, and this is how stuff like this was done. Yeah, and on the whole, I think the the production is 
it, it's a little uncertain of what tone it's trying to strike, but everything kind of coalesces. Like it really comes together in the second half, largely with like the placement and the u- utilization of short round, and the soundtrack actually really finds its footing in the second half. Mm-hmm. First half, it's it's good, but it's like we don't have a lot of the major themes present yet. It's mm-hmm. not until we get to the temple that like the whole soundscape comes together. And then, like I said, once the momentum gets going and you get your like rah rah awesome moments, it really it feels like a like a kid's roller coaster ride or something. I think you just pinpointed the problem I have with the movie, and we can get to it. But it's awesome. it's how we get to the Temple of Doom that's kind of disappointing for me. It's, uh, <laughs> I, I I've mentioned this on a couple of episodes at this point, but my uh, my girlfriend has a. a a logical brain mm-hmm. she 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 has a background in like math and like medical shit mm-hmm. so like when things don't make sense it's deeply upsetting yeah <laughs> and and i had to i actually had to disclose before it happened like <laughs> i was like so the movie's about to just like have a massive leap in logic i'm yeah. gonna ask you to not comment on it because the movie's not gonna comment yeah. on it you're just gonna have to go you're with just it. gonna have to go with it i know it's upsetting but we're going to do this. Yeah. The rest of the movie will be fine. Just once we get after this scene, it'll be fine. Just just let it happen. <laughs> Shut up. Let it happen. <laughs> I love you. <laughs> uh, so, production history on this guy. I'm not going to go super in-depth because we did that with Raiders. And I, I have a feeling things are going to get a little bit thinner as we go along with these movies. Especially this one. Yeah. Um, but the production history on this one was that um, both Harrison Ford and Steven Spielberg uh, we're both signed for three films at the beginning of things, like at the outset of production of Raiders. So Harrison Ford and Steven Spielberg both knew three movies. Like, we, we're committed. We are contractually obligated. So George Lucas is just, like, rubbing his palms together and be like, yes! <laughs> because Raiders was a mega hit, um, and both this and Raiders were produced on fairly low budgets, and apparently Temple of Doom made about the same money as Raiders. Yeah, easily. Yeah. Uh, it's infamous uh, for being too dark and deeply upsetting parent groups and critics alike uh, because it was too dark for the target audience because it, this was in an era where the PG rating and the R rating were all we had. It was mm-hmm. G, PG, R. Yeah. Uh, so this film uh, is often credited as the catalyst for the creation of the PG-13 rating. So yeah. Steven Spielberg apparently had a conversation with someone in the MPAA uh, and because he was Steven fucking Spielberg, they took his words to heart because he carried that much clout. Yes. Um, but the point is, this movie came out before that. So this was re- this was released under the PG banner of parental guidance suggested, not required, suggested. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so the the movie uh, apparently it's it's often agreed that it probably could have done even better if it didn't have the bad reputation of being scary. Um, so, you know, that that's something that definitely stuck with Spielberg. Like, I feel like he probably softened somewhat, or at least changed his approach to, to dark and violent content uh, following this film. Because, like I said, this movie is actually astonishingly goofy at times. Mm-hmm. Um, such that it's, it's like, strangely irreverent when, when things should be, con- like consistently intense but then he's just like throwing in vaudeville gags every once in a while i was gonna say i think we're a little bit harsh on willie willie's character <laughs> uh now that I'm, I'm thinking back i'm like honestly you needed uh this kind of comic relief the kid's kind of a comic comic relief but yeah when you think about like how dark the subject matter is 
you you need someone to kind of liven it up a little bit and that's what Willie does bring to the table and honestly if you didn't have for him like this would be just morose like it would just be very very dark yeah and apparently uh the story goes um George Lucas I think wrote a plot outline like he gave the general concept for the film prior to production the story goes he was in the midst of a divorce Mm. uh like an ugly one um which the story goes that's that's why it's a darker story because <laughs> he was in a bad place. I'm in a bad place. Yeah, George was in a bad place, and also uh, Lawrence Kasdan uh, wrote Raiders, um, as well as I think Empire Strikes Back, mm. and many other like George Lucas connected productions. Uh, very very prominent writer figure in Hollywood, attached to some massive projects, um, but he bailed on this one because he he felt the subject matter was. He was like, that just seems nasty. Like uh, that, that just seems unpleasant. <laughs> uh, so instead, we got the writers of Howard the Duck, <laughs> personal friends of George Lucas. <laughs> yeah, oh, Jesus. Um, but yeah, apparently a lot of the set piece moments from this film were intended to be in Raiders, but they were cut uh, due to like length and budget and whatnot. So like the minecart chase that is one of the biggest moments in this film yeah. was originally penned to be in Raiders. Uh, so we got a little bit of that where it's just like well we didn't get to do that last time so let's do it this time let's do it this time yeah yeah and uh yeah the movie came together apparently very quickly again it came out in the wake of et so steven spielberg was riding as high as it gets yeah um so this is another instance actually where it's like raiders is him like picking up the pieces and after like 1941 and now we have temple of doom where it's like He's riding so high, it's like, we got to bring you back down to Earth, Steve. Because, <laughs> you know, the movie did just fine. Like, it, it wasn't a failure, critically, or, you know, at the box office. But the man's personal assessment of his own work was that it could it could have been better. <laughs> uh, but yeah, this was the second in uh, an initially planned trilogy of films. Um, and as such, it came together pretty cleanly. Um, this time around, we get a, a totally different assemblage of characters. Um, this is a trend that would not continue for the remainder of the film series, but uh, part of the fun of a number two in a film series is that there there is no rule book set in stone just yet. Like mm-hmm. it's not required that you do all of these things. Like it, we don't have enough of a track record in place where it's like it's required that you visit these beats or you have these elements in there. Uh, and the movie actually does go out of its way to kind of play around with some of those conventions like it makes nods to its own history like in the form of references to raiders but then it breaks certain traditions like it, it has a lot of fun with little details like that but the the cast in this one unlike last crusade and unlike crystal skull uh is totally different so we have kate capshaw as willie uh who would of course she would become steven spielberg's wife uh she <laughs> all right what to say about willie man <laughs> like like she my my girlfriend really hated willie like she found her incredibly annoying she felt that at, like speaking as a as a female she was like he's really setting us back <laughs> like, <laughs> like, to be yeah. frank <laughs> Mar- marion was such a strong character and yeah you take one step forward and two steps back with this <laughs> yeah yeah she she's not especially capable uh she's whiny she's bratty but like you said she does bring elements of levity to it and yes. she does have a couple of really awesome moments but they're they're few and far between yeah. like like i really love some of the stuff she does in the movie but 
in between all that it's a lot of shrieking and it's really obnoxious but but and this is where i'm of two minds about it where it's like i my first assessment is i don't like Mm. like as a character she's not great but as a as a utility as like a a piece on a chessboard or something she's very useful to the film Mm -hmm. because like kyle had said it would be dreary as fuck like this this would not be a fun film if you didn't have willie to get shouted at by indy and short round i mean we have heart rips child slavery uh some (laughs) not some cultural missteps (laughs) to say the least uh yeah she's kind of I'm kind of glad now that I'm thinking about. It, I'm kind of glad she's here. I'm I am too because actually I it's weird coming from me because I'm the action guy. Like I like when people are getting slugged in the face. Like that's my thing. And this movie does have that in spades. But to be honest, like maybe maybe the strongest sequence in this film is the trap room. Like if you ask me from from just like an editing and a performance standpoint. I think that might be like straight up the most entertaining beat in the whole movie. It's, cer- the, it's certainly the most gifable sequence in the movie. The track room. Uh, the trap room. The trap room. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. With yeah. the ceiling and yeah. the spikes. Yeah, yeah, that's that's a lot of fun. I, <laughs> we I, are going to die. Frowny face. <laughs> the face he makes after that line. Yeah. <laughs> yes, that that is maybe my favorite line from an Indiana Jones movie. Maybe my favorite. Just the most gifable moment in the whole series, if yeah. you ask me. It's tremendous. It's tremendous. Um, but yeah, if we didn't have Willie, if we didn't have that style of obnoxious performance, that scene wouldn't have played as well. Mm-mm. So I'm, I don't like Willie, no. but I'm glad she's here. Yes. <laughs> um, so in addition to Willie, though, uh, we also have uh, Jonathan Kekwon, or mm-hmm. Kekwon, uh, as Short Round. Uh, who is Indiana Jones's very young compatriot, uh, his little buddy yeah. uh, from Shanghai. Uh, and unfortunately, Short Round is only in this film. Uh, Short Round, I'm sure, was a big hit with the kids. Big hit with me personally. Um, and my girlfriend absolutely adored him. She mm. was like, I would watch a whole trilogy of Short Round. <laughs> oh, he's, the, he's, the, he's the cutest, yeah. Uh, He's also the, uh, I think, Data or Dana. I can't remember if it's Data or Dana from uh, Goonies was his other big hit. Yeah, he's the kid with the trench coat and the gadgets, right? Yeah, he's got the gadgets, yeah. I've seen, like, still images, but to this day, have not seen the Goonies. I think Goonies and then... I, we were talking about the production design, uh, just the sets and everything. I can't wait to you, for you to get to labor, the Labyrinth, because that's going to be... Like, that whole movie is just... It's an amazing feat. It's really, it's really cool. I'm excited for that because yeah. uh, Kyle has again something that Kyle pops boners for: puppets. Puppets. <laughs> Kyle loves his fucking puppets, and uh, that movie is jam packed full of puppets. Uh, so yeah, uh, Short Round is a fantastic character. Um, I was telling Kyle before we started recording that I think one of the most charming aspects of him is that he he is regarded as an adult. Like, the fact that he's a child is very seldom brought into play unless it's advantageous to the character or to the plot. Mm-hmm. Um, but other than that, the way the way that Indy talks to him is like he's a grown man. He's a grown... Yeah, he's an adult. Yeah, it's it's great. Yeah. Like, and and it, their interplay is fantastic. They have such good chemistry. In fact, I've seen, like, behind-the-scenes footage of the two of them just goofing around. It's like, yeah, they had fun. 
And but then you know Kate Capshaw is probably just like sitting like with her back to the wall, like arms crossed, just like I feel left out. <laughs> no, she's uh, she's got her back up against a wall, and you've got Steven Spielberg with his elbow up on the wall, just like spitting game. Yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. No. Um. Actually, funny. Uh, watching the the behind the scenes footage on the Blu-ray, like eighty percent of it is just him relentlessly flirting with her. Ah, gotcha. Like relentlessly. Nice. <laughs> he spent an inordinate amount of time. Quote directing Kate Capshaw. Nice. <laughs> yeah, he like like I said, he he met his future wife on the set of this film. He's not a big fan of, and you can tell he was absolutely smitten mm-hmm. uh, because hey Steve, cameras are rolling. <laughs> like, I can see your boner. <laughs> it's gonna be on the Blu-ray in two decades. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, short round is fantastic. I I love so many of his one liners, and I love that he gets in the mix with the action constantly. Like he is always included in in so many of the action beats, and that's that's something that I think is uncommon in in action movies. Like with children involved, is like short round straight up gets smacked in the face. Like oh, yeah. like he gets whipped, he gets beat. He does, yeah. And he does the same to other people. <laughs> in fact, it's great. He has a line, I kill you! <laughs> like, he's whacking a dude with a stick, and he straight up says, I kill you! <laughs> I'm gonna murder you. Yeah, and, you know, stuff like that, I don't think is as PC as it used to be. Um, so it's it's very pleasant to see it in this movie, because it's like, hey, man, you know, it's like, death makes no bargains with anyone. Child, woman, man, doesn't matter. Death, death comes for everyone. So, mm. like, Kid's got to fight for his life. Fucking let him. <laughs> um, but uh, do you want to save the villains for the film? Yeah, we okay. can save the, we can save the, the villains film. for the film. So you want to get into the film? You want to give us a, a plot summary as best you can, Kyle? I suppose. Uh, <laughs> Indies in China at first. In- initially, initially to get something. Uh, in exchange for something, and that is either successfully or unsuccessfully done. I don't remember. Unsuccessfully. Unsuccessfully. <laughs> and then on their way back, the pilot leaves the plane, and they're stranded in India, and they need a guide to Delhi. And then the people that find him, find the three main characters, are like, hey, we need you. Remember that guy that... Uh, uh, <laughs> Alfred was talking about in the dark night. Yeah, he's here basically and we need you to go find him. And then Indy goes and finds him. Like that's kind of just the plot. It's like uh it just an adventure just trying to get home. Like it just kind of stops in front of him. Yeah, it, it's kind of a serendipitous treasure hunt. Yeah. Like it didn't start out as one. It just kind of became one and uh hey, it worked out at the end. Yeah. <laughs> a lot of people died, but a lot of people didn't. So it worked out. Yeah, and this is 1935 when the movie's set, so it's before the events of Raiders of the Lost Ark. Yes. Thank you so much for putting that out there up front, Kyle. Uh, that is a very important detail that I don't think is ever highlighted at any point in the film. Like, I, I don't think the movie ever goes to any length to, to demonstrate to the viewer or remind the viewer that, hey, that previous movie, i.e. the only other movie in this franchise, technically happens after this movie are you just supposed to assume because there's no nazis that it's uh prior i don't know it, it's kind of a baffling decision actually because it wasn't until it wasn't until i watched the movie a few times as a kid that i noticed the 1935 in the opening sequence i was like oh i because i had just watched raiders so yeah. i was like oh that 
whoa, this takes place before. And yeah. forevermore, as soon as I noticed that as a kid, that's changed my understanding of the film quite yeah. a bit. Because in my mind, this movie serves as like the the humbling chapter of Indiana Jones's story, where it's mm. like he's more of a scoundrel. He's more of a Han Solo treasure hunter, mercenary type in this film, in yeah. Temple of Doom. And then in Raiders, like in general, the tone of that film is a little bit more grave, a little bit more serious. And his the air of reverence he carries in regards to the Ark and other antiquities, I think the Temple of Doom was like a a learning experience for him. Like he, he grew out of this film. But if you don't know that, I think it makes it a less rich experience because his characterization in this is inconsistent with the other two films in the original trilogy. Mm-hmm. Like, he is a different person. He is kind of a bastard in this. Yeah. <laughs> like, right off the bat. But again, this is something that if you weren't, like, really on top of the ball and, like, paying attention to the dates, you wouldn't have known. And remember, this movie came out in the 80s, in 1984, so three years after Raiders. Who the fuck is going to remember that detail? Nobody. Mm-hmm. Nobody. But I actually think it actually... it increases the entertainment value of the experience because it's like oh he's a slightly different person Mm -hmm. just because of one year's difference just because of the the experiences gained from this adventure Uh, the the uh, the way the movie starts is kind of strange because it starts with a musical number anything goes Uh, yes (laughs) but it's it doesn't set the tone of the film though which is strange no i don't know why it's here uh it may be pure whimsy um, I've, I've heard that, that term used on like director's commentaries a lot. Like I forget who said it, but it was a really good interview. But it's like they were, they were talking about production details. This wasn't Spielberg, this was someone else. But they were talking about like production design. And they were like, well, this was there for utility. This was there for logistics because it made sense to the surroundings and whatnot. But those trees over there, those were just whimsy. Like I just put those in there because I thought they were nice. <laughs> and I, I have a feeling that this whole sequence was just like Spielberg being like, she's kind of hot. Yeah. Like maybe we should put her in a really expensive dress and have her sing Mandarin. Did, uh, <laughs> did she, you said she had a theater. Uh, that's how she started. Yes. That's my understanding is that Kate, Kate Capshaw came from the theater, the theater. And, uh, I think this was her first film credit, if not a very early one. Um, it's kind of similar to Karen Allen's path, where they both work. They both came from the stage, and uh, Karen Allen was a working actress in film. But um, yeah, it could be that she had musical theater experience, and he wanted to leverage that. So that gives me two possibilities. One, uh, this was written into the script that we're going to have this kind of ditzy, oblivious character, Willie, who's a, a lounge singer. And she's not, she's fine at it, but you notice that her choreography, like her dance choreography, she kind of gets like messed up a little bit and she's like trying to remember where she's supposed to be. So either it was written into the script like that, or Spielberg saw her doing theater and wrote this part for her. I mean, that is one way to get someone into your film. Yeah. Um, yeah, that, that has happened before. Yeah. It most certainly has happened. In fact, I, I just watched that, uh, that Val Kilmer documentary. Oh, you got on, to it? Yeah, it's it, fantastic. Oh, uh, I, compl- I had it in my calendar to watch, and I completely forgot about it. Yeah, uh, folks at home, there's a documentary currently available on Amazon Prime watch simply called Val. Um, mm. It's about the actor Bill, Val Kilmer, and it's assembled from contemporary interviews with the man and uh, just home movie footage he shot on the set of virtually every production he worked on. That's awesome. I, yeah, that's what, that's what sold me. It's very sad uh, from time to time, but it's very touching. 
gotcha. and, and somewhat illuminating. Like it doesn't go super in depth on his career. It's more about him as a person. I'm putting it back on my calendar but so I don't forget. I, I quite enjoyed it. Um, but the, the point I was trying to make there is that he was uh, enamored with a stage actress um, in England who he eventually married. And he, he is upfront about the fact that he found a lot of excuses to be in the same place as she would be gotcha. as, as a working actor um, and eventually worked on something with her and they got hitched. But Well, I feel like the latter in this case would make more sense because this doesn't set the tone of the movie. It doesn't. So, <laughs> yeah. Well, that's Sp- only... Spielberg was known to have always wanted to do a musical, which is actually very topical. Yeah. Because that... West Side Story is about to come out. Interesting. And, and next month... Is actually uh, it's topical for next month as well. Yeah. So uh, he, you know, in twenty twenty one, he finally got to do the thing that apparently he's been wanting to do since he got into film. Um, but yeah, they actually hired a a real like dance choreographer to put together the sequence. It's actually visually very fun. John Williams is on fucking point. The music's fantastic. Um, Kate Capshaw put in her time learning her mandarin like her her pronunciation seems clean to me if you ask me i, I don't really know i'm not an expert on the <laughs> subject um but it's funny you remarked on her dancing because uh the behind the scenes material said that uh the construction of that dress made it it was incredibly expensive and uh she couldn't move worth shit in gotcha. that thing so like what little dance moves that they asked her to do was was just just, <laughs> yeah. just some, we're doing wax on wax off yeah, we're just doing some... wax on wax off we're, we're doing a uh, sumo sumo hand motions <laughs> palm, palm strike motions because that's literally she had to keep it tight yeah <laughs> she had to keep it in tight she, got, we must protect this house <laughs> she got michelle pfeiffer because she's gonna have to do she's gonna have to do a lot of movement in that suit uh, in, in, in that Returns. corseted leather suit jesus fuck yeah <laughs> um but yeah the movie opens with a musical number and i like kyle had said it is somewhat inconsistent with the tone of the rest of the movie but in some regards it kind of it's it's almost like letting you know that this is going to be a colorful film this is going to be di- this is different <laughs> this guys. is a different fucking film this is different than the first thing so maybe that's what it like it doesn't set the tone but it does warn you like this is not what you're expecting yeah, and I think that's very important to know because, like, I think number twos in in film series are always fascinating because of this. Because, like, like I had remarked earlier, like the rules are not yet set in stone. Like everything you do with this film should bear some connection to what came before, but nobody's you're not obligated to repeat yourself. And actually, I I want to say that that maybe was kind of a thesis statement going into the production of Temple of Doom was that. We're not we're not gonna just redo Raiders like I you know Spielberg's riding high he just came off ET e- e- it's like if I'm gonna if I'm gonna do three of these fucking films they're Producer. gonna be different I'm not gonna just repeat myself and to to the credit of, of all those involved regardless of the quality of the end product it's radically different it from almost all the other films in it the series doesn't even it really doesn't even fit when you go from <laughs> like Raiders of the Lost Ark and then the Last Crusade and like those two feel like the same franchise they very feel much. very connected yeah they, they feel very connected not just in cast but in texture and, and, and tone like even the soundtrack is closer like this one's 
a little out there like it's a little bit more experimental and like even the lighting of this one in particular is radically different from the other ones it's it's a very different movie and i think that deserves some praise we should jump into this to the actual beginning because now that you now that we've pointed out that uh this is kind of a different indiana jones um this is the one time where he's actually dealing with the actual bad guy like actually trying to trade and not just trying to steal or beat him to something (laughs) So that, I'd never really thought about that. Like, yeah, in the first one and three, it's like I'm trying to beat them to the thing, beat them to the punch. Here, it's like he's trading. I guess he's, I don't know, is he trading money for the stuff? I don't really know what the exchange here is. Okay, so the setup here is we have a musical number. It's at a nightclub in Shanghai in 1935. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we, our first character introduced is a sweaty man banging a gong. Uh, <laughs> followed followed very shortly by Willie in a in a really awesome dress. Can we classify this as vaguely Asian? Yes. Okay. Most certainly. Okay. Um, I'm I'm fairly certain some of those stunt guys with especially the guy with the mutton chops and the sunglasses. I don't know about that man's ethnic origins. Well, I was gonna <laughs> say like <laughs> beginning. I was like, is this vaguely Asian? I'm like, well, we'll see how this plays out. And then when we get to India, I'm like, okay, this is not even vaguely. This is something we did no research yeah, on anything. M- much much of the Shanghai stuff is vaguely asian okay it's just kind of like you know we we did some research but not much like we, we mostly just like whispered in the ears of the actors on set and like is this deeply offensive to you and they're like i mean kind of good enough for me let's roll i don't think those questions were asked during the filming of this <laughs> i'm i'm wishful thinking <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm i'm hoping for the best yeah we know uh but this is like a james bond opening yeah and uh Fun little Easter egg. This takes place at Club Obi-Wan. Um, yes. <laughs> there's a neon sign on the exterior of the building when we jump out. I did not catch that. Wow. There's a lot of shit like that. Like in the in the uh, the Ark's chamber in Raiders, uh, C-3PO and R2-D2 are in hier- hieroglyphics on the wall. I can tell you exactly how that Obi-Wan uh, club thing. It's uh, Spielberg... Uh, pushing his glasses up and just running his fingers through the chair. Okay, George, we will... Okay, how about this? We will have the name of the club. Uh, Obi-Wan. We'll, we'll call the club Obi-Wan, okay? All right? Can you just give me a minute? Oh, my God. I'm picturing all during production of Temple of Doom, and I have no evidence to back this. But remember, George is going through a divorce. A historically ugly divorce. So I'm just picturing on the set of Temple of Doom, Spielberg's like he's rooting through his keys, he's opening up the set and he's like drinking his coffee and then it's like George is like curled up in the corner with a blanket <laughs> in the set and he's just like he's at the he's at the foot of Colleen and Spielberg's just like if I'm really quiet, I'm not gonna wake him. It's like I only got enough breakfast for me. Steven, I'm glad you're here. Hey, uh, Steven. <laughs> Steven, I'm so oh. glad you're here. I, I, you know, I can see... I a can... lot of dinners. A lot of dinners that Spielberg had to attend with George when he probably really didn't want to. I can see... I already know their friendship dynamic. Steven Spielberg uh, is the very patient, really good friend who uh-huh. really does love his friend. And George is just... He's like a, like he's just a Costanza, just like insecure... And I have no evidence of this. I'm, I'm <laughs> speculating here. But this is how I'm picturing it. He's just like very insecure and very needy as a friend. Yeah, I'm, I'm picturing in between takes a lot of reassuring going mm-hmm. on. And a lot of listening to the same fucking story about, quote, that woman over and over and over again. And a lot of, uh-huh, mm-hmm, George, yeah, I'm right there with you, bud. 
No, no, no. Ed, 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 like Steven Spielberg just needed a cell phone back in the yeah, 80s. Yeah, like, yeah. No, oh, 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 get the call. Coast is calling. <laughs> and the whole time he's just eyeing Kate Capshaw out of the corner of his eyes, just being like this fucking guy. Well, at least he won't he, shut up. At least he met his wife on the set of this movie and not like Schindler's List, because that'd be a much darker uh, beginning to a oh. relationship. Oh God! Yeah, like right? how how do you navigate that? <laughs> there's no time. There's no good time. That is productions wrapped up. And you send like you like oh yeah I'd like to meet you for lunch. I mean I just think from a body chemistry level it's just like I don't think he could get it up. No, like, like no. on the set it's like I don't care how hot she is it's just like no. Well he had to like deload after <laughs> like pr- like he had to like deload cry a little bit some days <laughs> to edit Jurassic Park yes. at the time. Yeah, which is like I still think that's one of the most remarkable stories I've heard in in film is that the man was making Jurassic Park. And Schindler's List. Well, at the same time. <laughs> we'll have to get back on track here, but I have noticed, uh, since I found that out, I have noticed at least two scenes in Jurassic Park where I can see production stuff in the background. Oh. Two instances. Uh, Kyle, do you do you know about the disappearing raptor? No, I don't know about that. Oh, well, I, you're probably due for a watch on the next rainy day, right? Uh, it's, it's imminent. <laughs> okay, well, when I say the phrase disappearing raptor... I can't wait. I'm gonna. I might watch it tonight. See, see if you know what I'm talking about. Like it, it, it's very difficult to spot unless you've seen it slowed down. But there is a disappearing raptor. <laughs> I, I'm not gonna point out those. I'm not gonna part out, point out those parts of Jurassic Park because I love that movie. And two, he edited it while he was making Schindler's List. You know, mistakes will be made. Mistake, you can, those mistakes are fine. That, that's absolutely fine. It's still a tremendous film. Tremendous. But yeah, yeah, we're at Club Obi-Wan. Yeah. And the setup here, Kyle, is that uh, we are introduced to one Indiana Jones, Dr. Henry Jones Jr., yeah. mind you, uh, in a white suit with a bow tie. Mm-hmm. He's rocking it. He's, yeah. he's doing his uh, Humphrey Bogart or like James Bond impression here. Oh, this might also be the most prime cut of Harrison Ford I've seen in cinema. I think it's generally agreed that yes, um, he, this is he he went balls out like getting conditioned for this because he was told he was going to have to have his shirt off a lot. I don't think I've fanned my face this hard since I watched Pat, like uh, Patrick Bateman in American Psycho. I was like, holy shit, Bale! Like, how did you do that? Yeah, I mean, man, I was, I was kind of like nud- nudging my girlfriend towards the TV, just being like, go, go to him, just go. Yeah, yeah no, I, climb I, it. I, I, I understand. Like, if you if you got a shot, take it. <laughs> but yes, this this is dimey dime uh, Harrison Ford. This is yeah. prime cut Harrison this Ford. Is swish, yeah. <laughs> Um, but yeah, he's got himself a white suit, and the setup here is that he is having a meeting with, I presume, a Chinese gang- gangster, if not just a seedy gentleman, <laughs> <laughs> named Lao Che, uh, who is played by a man who, whose name escapes me at the moment, but he is uh, Jean-Claude Van Damme. Uh, it's his uh, teacher uh, from Bloodsport. See, I think he might be an American gangster as well. I wouldn't doubt it. Uh, he's he's popped up in a lot of Hollywood films and Chinese films. Uh, he he does both. But uh, point is, we have Lao She, uh, who has gotten Indiana Jones. He's asked Indiana Jones uh, to track down Nurhachi, uh, who it's apparently like the ashes or the remains in a uh, uh, like a marble jar of uh, the first emperor of the Manchu dynasty, as he puts it. Uh, so basically, he wants a Chinese mummy. In a jar, uh, so Indy is trading him the mummy Nurhachi uh, for a diamond, just diamond. 
Like, it's never given a name or anything, but apparently he really wants that fucking diamond because he has offered, like, a pile of gold, and he's like, hey, Lau, the, uh, the deal was for the diamond, bud. <laughs> uh, this diamond looks less real than the diamonds in Batman and Robin, like, the ones that... Uh, the Mr. Freeze the diamonds? Mr. Freeze diamonds. Like, this thing looks like... <laughs> Like I like I'm like it, even on VHS this wouldn't look real. I'm sorry, real quick. Rick Young was the man I'm thinking of. He's one of the side guys. He's an American gangster, so it wasn't okay. the main guy. Sorry. Okay. Yeah. Th- this up. this diamond looks about on par with the fake ice cubes from one of the toy commercials for Batman and Robin. Yes. <laughs> yes. This is the yeah. It, it is a lousy look, fake diamond. And it's like <laughs> it's like cut on the bottom too, so it's not even like it's not even convincing as a diamond just in its shape. Like it's just like. A, like a half globe kind of thing. Yeah, and this begins the trend um, wherein in this film I noticed they they do a thing. Maybe it's like I don't know Steven Spielberg getting uppity or maybe being bored with the script or something. But they do this trick that I think actually is a huge benefit to the movie, where they do a lot of exposition, a lot of dialogue that pushes things along, um, while a lot of action is happening out on a visual standpoint. So in this case, we have a rotating table that mm-hmm. they're using to pass items back and forth between each other, and they're they're basically like bartering with each other. He's like, "No, here's your mummy. Here's the diamond." He's like, "Okay," and all all in the meantime, Indy has taken Willie hostage, who just kind of like saunters up and just like, yeah. "Oh, what are you boys doing?" He's just like, "Oh, I'm gonna take a hostage with a fork." I I love the, I love. Uh... I can't even spoil. God damn it! I love this. There's a Game of Thrones reference I was gonna make, but I can't. I oh. can't. I can't do that. But yeah, he takes her hostage. And he's like, "I'll kill the girl." He's like, "I'll get another." <laughs> he's like, "Yeah, go ahead, kill the girl. I'll get another one." By the way, I'm sorry. I was wondering. I kept looking over at this mug, and it just hit me. I'm like, "Why does Trevor have a mug with uh, his brother's face on it?" <laughs> uh, the mug. Uh, folks at home never seen uh trevor's brother uh he looks like keanu reeves the mug is keanu reeves yeah and it says you're breathtaking that's a gift from the girlfriend oh man now i gotta get you a mug with matt's face on it <laughs> just replace it replace it see how long it takes you to figure it out it might take a few decades oh, we, we gotta step on the gas because i think we're like 45 minutes in something like that Oof. but but yeah uh indy has taken a hostage in the form of willie uh to assist with his bargaining here uh this is your first sign that this is a uh, saltier indie yes this is a more reckless more scoundrel like indie um there there's a a bit where uh, spielberg keeps showing indie go for his drink of of champagne or whatever and mm-hmm. he keeps like getting bumped or like he just can't get to it yeah and john williams score who by the way scored all of the films at this point i don't know if he's signed on for that fifth one which is currently in production but uh his score for this film i i do give a lot of points it's it's a strong one it doesn't find its footing till about the second half um, but when it when it gets there when all the themes are laid out mm-hmm. it's a banger yeah um but the the music like building the tension and the just the back and forth between these two bargaining parties it, it's it's fun yeah uh willie's kind of obnoxious already already like, she's been on screen a few minutes but um long story short indy takes a swig of his uh of his drink um, in celebration of the fact that, like, okay, we've successfully made our trade, nobody got hurt. Um, and then Lao Che has the reveal of uh, a vial that yeah. pulls out, and Willie's like, What's that? And I, I love the phrasing, he's just like, Antidote. <laughs> and he's like, 
To what? <laughs> like the poison you just drank, Doctor oh, Jones. They have a good, good the, chocolate. And the, 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 the way the three heads are in the yeah. frame—they're like mashed together. Yeah. Ah! The, the, actually, that's my favorite part of the cinematography of this movie. There's, like, there's a lot of cartoonish lighting in this movie. Mm-hmm. Like, a lot of faces just have really artificial light sources blasted onto them. And it gives it like a really colorful, cartoony kind of vibe to it, almost like like Roger Rabbit or something. Now that you mentioned that Cape Capshaw was a theater person, uh, I've actually seen a few plays, like uh, comedic plays in person, and uh, she definitely, I can see that now. Like I can see the way she's acting in this movie translates perfectly to the stage. It's very broad. Yeah. It's very big. Very big. Yeah. Like very like her facial expressions. Oh, like she, yeah. she's playing to the cheap seats. Yeah. Yeah. So it, I, it makes more sense now. Again, don't like the character. But I'm very happy she's here. Yes. Um, can we say short round? I don't know if that's a if that's. Uh... We can because it's the name of someone's dog. Okay. It's the name. I think it's uh, Steven Spielberg's dog. Okay. Um, I, no, uh, I think Willie was the name of one of his dogs, and someone else uh, named their their dog short round. So all three of our principal characters in this film are named after some producers or directors pets okay but we call him short i'm like i'm gonna call him shorty but i'm like short round i'm like i don't know i'm like considering the other stuff that the problematic stuff with uh we're gonna call him short round or shorty shorty um i think he actually states his real name uh at one point when they're in the village i I think he says like suanu oh i didn't catch that it's i only caught it this time because we had the subtitles on gotcha but um long story short India is now poisoned and is being told to give back the diamond because he can get it in exchange for the antidote. So he's they're trying to do him dirty, basically. Yeah. Um, and then uh, India has an associate, though, who pulls a gun on them uh, named Wuhan, uh, who... Is killed instantly. Is killed instantly. <laughs> instantly. Uh, it's kind of a cool bit where... Uh, Champagne bottles are being popped, and the the sound of the report of the of the gunshot that kills him is covered by the sounds of the corks popping. Yeah, and then we just get like a patch of blood pop up on his chest, and uh, this is just one of those things reminding you that this is steeped in the lore of like serialized stories. So this guy, you know, in a in an alternate universe, would have been in a different Indiana Jones story in the past, but it's like, oh, we had history together, and now I die with pathos. But yeah. In this movie, he dies instantly. <laughs> um, and then all hell breaks loose because yeah. Indy is desperate. He's sweating. And uh, they're all laughing at him. Yeah. And these guys have good laughs. Yeah. Like, they have good... <laughs> it's laughs. deep, yeah. And the one guy, the guy who shot Wuhan, gets it first. So Indy stumbles backwards, and there's a, a tray of, like, meat on flaming skewers. And Indy picks it up, and he just lawn dart <laughs> right into the guy's chest. It's fantastic. And then uh, we just get this like farcical brawl. Yeah, we're just like every every fucking thing you could imagine like going nuts in this place does. Where yeah. like people are wrongfully punched, people are flying around, like tables get flipped, balloons start falling from the ceiling. I love when Indy punches the lady carrying the cigarettes. <laughs> like she just she has one of those like shoulder sling carts full of cigarettes, and he's just like swinging punches wildly and just like lady <laughs> you just see her collateral it, right? damage yeah and there's even like a really creative shot where a hand comes out directly from underneath the camera and goes into harrison ford's face and yeah. he like stumbles into the center of the frame it's it's great like it's really creative stuff but it's really farcical it's like the it's impossible to be worried about anything yeah, at this no, point but they're they're trying their best to like remind you that it's like it's really tense he's been poisoned and uh they're cutting back and forth between uh, Willie trying to retrieve the diamond 
and there's like a bit where a whole bunch of ice cubes get get splayed out on the floor and she can't find it anymore um and in her search for the ant- for the diamond she stumbles across the antidote and indy sees that she puts it in her dress so he's like stay there yeah this movie has a lot of good harrison ford yelling at growling people. yeah some some of his best yells in cinematic history but um knives get thrown at one point um my favorite bit though is lao che's uh, son uh who he has a bandage on his hand um, mm. because apparently lao che had asked indy to track down nurhachi but then he sent his son to like just get out in front of him mm. kind of like similar to like belloc like yeah like dick him um and it's the the bandage implies that like indy ran afoul of him and like busted him up pretty good so the the kid's kind of pissed at him yeah but this guy with this tommy gun kyle did you catch this? Mm-mm. This is spectacular. This, I think this guy was hired on the strength of his ability to gleefully spray rounds <laughs> with a Tommy gun. Is he like Willie, uh, uh, William Forsythe and uh, uh, Dick Tracy? Yes. Okay. And then some. Like He's, he's doing... Ah, ah, like, like, like he is having the time of his fucking life. <laughs> I, I, he, Flat Top was my favorite of the gangsters in that movie. He always pissed me off, but I... In retrospect, it's like that's why he's there. Mm-hmm. Like he's meant to look that way. He's yeah. meant to piss you off. Yes, very much. Uh, but yeah, he he is definitely like the the top tier of the, the bad guys in that one. Like, yeah. In terms of guys you want to see get it at the end. He also seems to have his shit together a little bit more. A little bit more than some of the other yeah, ones. Like, yeah. Like stinky. <laughs> Who played him? Oh, I mean, it's like it's like a strange like casting because it's like all the dudes like fucking what's his name? Uh, uh, Godfather dude. Um, Sonny, Sonny Corleone. Oh, uh, James Con. There we go, James Con. Like James Con is one of the gangsters. William Forsythe, uh, fucking uh, Hook, uh, Dustin Hoffman. Dustin Hoffman. <laughs> Mumbles. Like, yeah, Mumbles. I'm like, oh, wow, I didn't realize Paul, all these. Paul Sorvino. Nope. Not the best. I forgot Paul Sorvino's manless. Yeah. <laughs> Gosh, I, I got to go back now. I got a VHS of that. Yeah, I also have the Blu-ray if you want to borrow. Ooh, nice. <laughs> um, but yeah, this guy with the Tommy gun is fantastic. Indy and Willie both escaped from Club Obi-Wan by knocking down the big old gong mm-hmm. uh, that was served as the first shot of the film. In fact, the uh, the Paramount Mountain transitions mm-hmm. into the mountain on the Fall, gong. Anything and, goes. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, they, they run from behind the gong as it rolls to the window. It's good so move. They, yeah. Uh, they avoid getting shot by the Tommy gun. They jump out the window. That's where we see the uh, Club Obi-Wan sign. And they fall directly into a vehicle. Did Which, you write the script on your phone? I, I wrote... <laughs> Shut up. <laughs> I just wrote a note about every scene in the movie. Okay. <laughs> a note. It's not 20 pages like it used to be. It's more like 10. <laughs> Exterior shot. <laughs> I, mean, I think I have that in there. Like, like EXT period. <laughs> Night. Oh, God. cut Palace. Oh, that's good. <laughs> when they oh. fall into this car, and uh, this is where we're introduced to Short Round. Who's driving a car with... Uh, does he have like cut up two by fours strapped to his feet? Yeah, he has some sort of wood planks yeah. uh, strapped to his feet so to extend his legs. That's, and uh, Willie, Willie's Willie's reaction is our reaction. It's like, is that a kid is driving a, a car? <laughs> yeah, we're in Asia. It doesn't really matter. Yeah. Yeah, and his first line I think is, "Wow, crash landing." <laughs> <laughs> Hold on to your potatoes. <laughs> Don't understand that, but yeah, I was like, shut up, short round. <laughs> it's like I love you, but. Not, not now, man. Yeah. What? <laughs> uh, 
Yeah. Um, I like I like that Indiana Jones is uh, digging through Willie's dress to get the antidote, and mm. she's like, "I'm not that kind of girl." <laughs> and like Short Round actually does the the dad thing of like he's like turn around, he's like, "No time for love, Doctor Jones. We're getting shot at." <laughs> How many times has he seen Doctor Jones trying to get love going that he has to say that? I think a lot. That's concerning. There's there's a line at the palace that I'll point out that I didn't catch until this viewing. I was like. Jeez. Short round knows what's up. <laughs> like he may be doing the kid thing where you cover your eyes at the end when and he's he, in the same room. It's like he's seen some shit. <laughs> um, but long story short, we have a, a fairly brief car chase here where Short Round's doing the driving, Indy's doing the shooting with his trusty revolver out the back, out the rear windshield. Uh, he shoots the driver of Lao Che's uh, gangster vehicle that's chasing them with Tommy guns in tow. Um, they crash. Uh, short round hit the guy in a rickshaw. It's pretty funny. <laughs> but um, as Indiana Jones is like getting ready to reload his pistol, so he's like dumping bullets into his hand, and he's like, "Willie, hold this." He gives her his his revolver, and uh, she's juggling it in her hands because it's hot because it's recently been discharged, mm-hmm. and she throws it out the window. Oh, jeez. And I thought that was really cool because it actually it it's a joke that doesn't pay off until the end of the movie. But it is actually really critical to the construction of the action sequences in the movie, because all this does is explains why he isn't shooting people throughout the whole movie. Ah, yeah, because he doesn't have a gun. Because he doesn't have a gun throughout the sense. entire film. Uh, so it, it creates a different texture. It creates a different balance to the way the action has to play out for the remainder of the film. Uh, so these shots fired in this opening sequence—that's all you get from Indy, anyway. There yeah. are guns in the movie, but. Uh, yeah, uh, she loses his pistol, and he gets mighty pissed. Yeah. And then they get to an air airfield. And did you catch the cameo here, Kyle? Yes, and I had it written down. I've been waiting to talk about this for a while now. Uh, Dan Aykroyd uh, pops up as the li- liaison, as uh, yeah, the, the guy who chartered the plane or whatever. He, he liaises. <laughs> but I was thinking, I'm like, it would have been so much more fun if Dan Aykroyd was the appendage. Like, he was the person with Indy. Oh, I would watch that. Right? That would be a lot of fun. I would watch that, man. That would be great. Because he would probably have a good rapport with the kid. Like, it would be kind of like the mum, like I think in The Mummy Returns where Jonathan is stuck with the kid. But I think it would have been kind of fun to have Dan Aykroyd in the movie. It's funny, actually. I, I posted our review on uh, the Indiana Jones Reddit board uh, just on a lark. I don't expect to get much traffic on it. But somebody did actually comment, and they are like, do you hate Crystal Skull, or do you just think it's the least of the series? Yes. And I gave <laughs> just just flatly yes. yes. <laughs> no, I, I did my, my Trevor diplomatic answer and I was like, I, I think it's a serviceable action film, but it's a an eyesore. Like it, it it does damage to the franchise actually. But as a if you separate it from the franchise, it's okay. Like it's not a incom- it's not a completely incompetent action film. It has some merits to it, but um yeah, I I thought that was interesting because it got me thinking about some of the problems with that movie and when you really get down to it i think i think the ensemble actually is a is a underrated aspect of the strength of a lot of the movies is that the people around indy really have to really have to be strategically placed Mm -hmm. and the huge problem with crystal skull is that there are a lot of people around him all the time and all of them suck yeah Uh, whereas raiders he's often alone temple of doom he's often alone and then the few the very few people that he's with all have really important places in the script 
Um, and Temple of Doom, as, as annoying as Willie is, we've gone on and on about how useful she is to the film as a whole. Mm. Um, whereas Crystal Skull, it just feels cluttered and unfocused. Where it's just like, why are you here? Yeah. Like, why did you hire John Hurt and have him do... Sh- John fuck? Hurt's in that? Oh my god, it's And he so does long. fuck all. Like, he's just there, making noise. Making mouth noises. It's like... Make him do something. He's awesome. <laughs> Indiana. <laughs> Indiana Jones. <laughs> oh, no. That's perfect. That's, that's, that's perfect. Yeah. Uh, but, yeah, Dan Aykroyd has a cameo here. Uh, the camera is pulled way the fuck back, so you really can't see him. And he's doing a British accent. But his speech cadence, cadence. And, and the number of words exhibited, uh, yes. It's, it's literally just the, uh, the noise that the coneheads make. Yeah. Put, put it this way. The, the way he refers, he recognizes Willie, and the way he says it is, aren't you the famous American female vocalist, Willie? How many American female vocalist? Yeah. How many fucking words you got to use to say singer? <laughs> like, aren't you the singer? <laughs> yeah. But that's his comedic strength. Is he can get uh, he can get seven words in where two would have sufficed. How did Quentin Tarantino never grab him? How did that never happen? Because he doesn't talk sl- he doesn't talk slow enough. No, you got to talk fast. That's what I'm saying. You got to talk fast. <laughs> no, but Tarantino's dialogue scenes they they move at this pace he's like he's like look dan we're, we're shooting for a two-hour movie like at your pace we're going we're gonna end up like like 120 man <laughs> so is, i can actually think like a rat <laughs> just like going really fast. again a movie i would watch my, my, my pipe. dan Aykroyd working from a quinternino script um but yeah they get on the plane and they think they've escaped uh, indiana jones has his nice try loud shay and then he gets on the plane and then oh shit Lauche Airlines. Yeah. Um, Lauche has a good laugh at the fact that, oh, they're riding my airplane. That's convenient. Yeah. Um, and this was where the uh, the uh, logical fallacy um, that I had to warn my girlfriend came in was, why why did they jump out of the plane? Not not our heroes, but why did the pilots abandon the plane? I mean, there's no reason. Like There is no reason. No reason. Other- there is no reason other than we need a way to get to India. Unless that... Indy was never supposed to make to make it to the plane, and because he made it to the plane, the pilot knew that he had to like let Indy die. He takes a nap on the plane. Kyle, shoot him. Yeah. Shoot him in the fucking head when he's asleep with his yeah. hat over his eyes. That's true. You don't need to crash the plane. <laughs> you don't. Get... Planes are expensive, man. <laughs> like, well, Loud Shay probably wants to keep the plane. Maybe. <laughs> I mean, I mean, he's rich enough that he doesn't have to. Like, he can just. The, yeah, but it doesn't really make a lot of sense. I mean, he could have a whole closet full of mummies. He could. He could be mummy wealthy. You know. <laughs> it's. It's just for a nice action. It's it, just like yeah. It's it, strictly an excuse to get us to India to yeah. change the venue. Um, so I had to explain to my girlfriend, like, what's about to happen makes no fucking sense. Just go with it. Um, but yeah, uh, Indy, Willie, and Short Round are on this airplane, and uh, they're in a plane full of live poultry, as uh, Dan Aykroyd puts it. And uh, as it so happens, they take a nap, and uh, the pilots both jump out the back while while they're snoozing. And then Willie wakes up and sees that they're not there. And it takes her start, forever to it get... It takes her a hot fucking Wait, minute. What happened? Indy? Uh, like, hey. Oh, we there? Are we there? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I think uh, this may be the first instance of the, you call him Dr. Jones, doll. <laughs> that is one of the Obnoxious, best. yeah. And, oh, it's great. I love when Short Round tells her that. <laughs> Actually, this um, there's a, a thing that Indy does in this movie. He, he constantly refers to her as, like, sweetheart. Oh. In like a condescending tone. Again, I think that's a 
1935 indie thing because mm. he, he's pretty he's pretty awful to her <laughs> um and yet they both have the hots for each other but, well. but um yeah she's trying to wake him up and like she starts she's like indie indie and like short round just like pops up in the background so like, you call him dr jones tall and she's like dr jones <laughs> but uh he wakes up and um this is where we see he doesn't know how to fly a plane mm-hmm which is kind of fun because when we get to Last Crusade, he does know how to fly a plane. Yeah, he does know how to fly a plane. Which means probably this was what incentivized him to learn how to fly a fucking plane. Makes sense. Um, uh, do you think maybe he was taking flying lessons during uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark? Not Raiders. Yeah, uh, yeah, Raiders. I mean, I wouldn't doubt it. He's he's a well-traveled man of the world. Because he's riding in the front seat of that plane when they when they escape yeah, at the beginning. Yeah, he does have a pilot with him, but yeah, you're right. He, he, he does be... comfortably hop up front. Yeah, maybe he's he's learning at that point. Like, just get us in the air. I'll I'll get us down. Yeah, I mean, if I had an incident where <laughs> where I, I discovered, oh crap, I need to fly a plane. Also, I don't know how to do that. Maybe taking, maybe learn how to fly a plane. Taking your pet boa constrictor on an open face like the, like the open air plane at the time irresponsible yeah they're not meant to be up there no like I'm, I'm pretty sure that would really weird them out like any any animal that's lifted off the ground when it's not built for it it's probably really fucks with their senses like yeah. i'm pretty sure dogs really don't like flying <laughs> there's a somebody posted a, a, a recent very recent video of someone parachuting with their uh dog like they're like going down the dog is just like strapped in having a good time i'm like I don't know how I don't know how that dog is handling that. <laughs> Your dog has very little sense of itself and its orientation to the earth. Jesus, dude. <laughs> but yeah, they have to. Uh, there's no more. I think uh, Shorty tells him like, "Hey, there's no more parachutes," so he has to like off the cuff think of something to do. Um, and this is the first time we get to see uh, Harrison Ford in a life raft. Not the last, though. <laughs> Not the last. Not the last. Um, but yeah, uh, he improvises a, a way to get out of the plane because there are no more parachutes. Uh, so they use a, a just like a raft, an inflatable raft, and they jump out of the plane. And uh, just for funsies, we get to see the plane crash. We get a good ilm explosion industrial light and magic did yeah. work did work on all these films apparently they won a visual effects oscar for this film really which is a little bit shocking because the effects work in this film is a little it's not bad it's inconsistent yeah um it's when it's great it's fantastic when it's not it's a little so when we get into the actual temple of doom where it, it's uh a little a little off i i think the the ugliest shots in the movie are daytime blue screen shots I mean, that's pretty much any movie in the 80s. <laughs> and any movie in the yeah. 80s is going to look bad. But the point is, like, I think uh, Ghostbusters may have came out the same year as this. And 84, I think so. And I think that's a much more consistently like beautiful film in terms of visual effects quality. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, um, very much. But, yeah, this one got the nod. Uh, I think, Lord, like, the story goes, the, the minecart sequence got it a lot of brownie points. Plus, you know, fucking Spielberg's name backing it helps a little. I say Ghostbusters was 84. Okay, cool. But yeah, like that just it just furthers my point. Nineteen eighty four was a big year for movies. Big fucking year, man. Eighty seven, like the year I was born is like because I was born that year. Like that's the one I I tend to know I mm. like latch on to a lot of the ones from that year. That was, you know, Predator and Robocop among others. Um but yeah, we, we jump out of the plane and we crash land on a mountainous, like snowy hilltop. And uh, this is where one of uh, John John Williams' stronger cues on the soundtrack kicks in. It's called Slalom on Mount Humol. That's uh, a really awesome piece of action music. And uh, we, we slip and slide down yeah. the hill. <laughs> Dude, I have to give you just a real quick, just 1984. History Sorry. lesson. 
Dune. Context. Right, I'm just going to just rapid fire. Dune, Once Upon a Time in America, 2010, we, uh, First Contact, Gremlins, uh, Nightmare on Elm Street, Blood Simple, 16 Candles, uh, Paris, Texas, Never Ending Story, Ghostbusters, Red Dawn, uh, The Natural, uh, Firestarter, Chud, Spinal Tap, Romancing the Stone, The Terminator, and Splash, Police Academy, <laughs> Jesus Christ. Uh, Amadeus, Purple Rain, Temple of Doom, obviously, Night of the Comet. Wow, that's insane. Now, Footloose! <laughs> Cry <if> Kid! <laughs> now, if you want to play uh, one of these things not like the others, uh, that would be Chud. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's true, Chud. <laughs> I think Kyle like explained that movie to me best. Daniel Stern sweats, and all the thing does is make it gets a long neck. It's the most boring. It's one of the most boring things I've ever seen. Yeah, just Ky- Kyle was excited to check that one out. He's a big Daniel Stern fan, but uh, yeah, the, the Chud all it does is makes its neck long, so it makes it easier to cut its head off. And Daniel Stern's really sweaty and gross throughout the whole movie. I was gonna say one of these movies, at least one of these movies, is a Criterion release, and I thought you were gonna point it out, which is Paris, Texas. That was the one that didn't really fit. No, that Chud was the one that gotcha. immediately jumped out at me. Um, yeah. Gremlins uh, also apparently is responsible, equally responsible for the PG-13 rating. I can see uh, that. You know, again, also a PG film gets pretty fucking gnarly from time to time. It does, yeah. Um, but yeah, uh, we go from the mountain and uh, we jump off a giant fucking mountainous chasm that it's a blue screen shot of a miniature yeah. Uh, may as well be the same mat as used in uh, Raiders when the Nazi jeep goes off the hill. Yeah. <laughs> it looks almost identical. Um, but they fall in a river. And then uh, once everybody's catching their wind here. Oh, by the way, this is where uh, Kyle and I were commenting, I think, before we started recording, that the chemistry between Kate Capshaw and Harrison Ford is questionable at times. It's not there. It's and, not. And they never hook up, which kind of... I mean, he doesn't hook up with Marion, but there's there's a... There's a history with those two, so it makes more sense that there's there's still kind of an energy between them, but they don't ever like hook up. And this, it's like there's no energy, and they don't they don't hook up. Well, the way I understand it is like Marion. By the time we get to that fourth one, they they really take it for a walk and mm-hmm. like make it into a big fucking thing. But uh, in my mind, it's like I could see him in a relationship with Marion. I could see him sleeping with Willie. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> he, ain't, he ain't wife and Willie, dude. No, and I don't think she'd be interested either. Eh, maybe. I mean, you know, like in when he's in professor mode, do you think Willie's going to be interested? I don't see her. I like. I don't. She's very asexual to me. Like she doesn't seem to me. She's a sexless character, basically. George Lucas again. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Uh, you haven't seen it, but speed uh, relationships like formed um, in extreme circumstances are not meant to last. <laughs> Turbulent. <laughs> yeah, uh, you know, adventure indie. I think I think Willie would would you know he might throw her a bone, but he's not taking her out to. But meal, but yeah. when when he when he puts on his his tweeds or whatever, <laughs> like when he's got his patches on his sleeves and he's you know holding court in the classroom i don't think she's going to be interested he's not taking her to the faculty meet to the faculty parties yeah. no, she, no she no, wouldn't no, have no, a no, lot no, to no, no. to that <laughs> <laughs> but uh, they discover they're in india because uh indian doc brown is uh, waiting for them at the yeah. head of the river and uh yeah we are taken to a dead ass village yeah these these poor folks uh yeah. i guess um we kind of run through this. They they're very nice to them. They make them some food. 
and he kind of tell like film in on the story. He's wanting a guide to Delhi. He's like, hey, we want to get out of here. Plane crashed, and they're like, here, we're gonna make you some food. Let's tell you about our problem. He's like, okay, uh, Willie. I'm like, Willie, just eat the goddamn food because she's being so rude. And this is one thing that bugs me. I'm like, Indian food's mostly like vegetarian. And it's really spicy and it's really good. Yeah. So. Here, when she's getting handed the stuff, I'm like, you should eat that. It's probably really tasty. But he's just like, don't be rude. You're um, like, you're offending them, and you're embarrassing me. <laughs> See, that's what's funny. It's like, we, we say they don't have good chemistry, but I think when he's, be, when he's like, chastising her and being awful to her, it, it, wor- act, it works. It works, yeah. Because the way he's doing it, where he's, like, trying to... He's speaking to her directly in English, so only a few people in the room can understand this, but he's, like, trying to cover his face. He's smiling all the time. He's he's embarrassing me. (laughs) You're embarrassing me, and you're insulting them. (laughs) And then when she finally eats it, and he he has that genuine smile, like, good. Good. (laughs) (laughs) That's great. Oh, but yeah, so I immediately was thinking about, like like I said at the top, uh, Alfred, explaining the uh the the ruby the size of a tangerine uh like that's what i got like this dude's basically like stealing kids and what's with the stone again okay so uh by the way fun production note apparently indian doc brown uh spoke not a lick of english and all of his lines had to be delivered phonetically it had to be fed to him during the take so spielberg was like just off camera saying everything to him and he just parroted it Interesting. He just matched the sounds. He didn't have a fucking clue what he was saying. That's cool. And it made it laborious. It was a very difficult scene to shoot. Uh, apparently, it was saved in editing. But the man has presence, so I oh, understand yeah. why. No, there's yeah. a reason they cast him, because he looks He's bizarre. Tremendous. He's just very bizarre. Yeah. No, and he has really big, expressive, sorrowful eyes. Mm-hmm. And like, and his hands, like, he has long, skeletal fingers. And like, he does a few moves. Like, he wipes his eyes at one point. It's like very well cast from a visual standpoint. And they got what they needed. Apparently it was very difficult, and apparently uh, all the India scenes in this movie were shot. Uh, most of this movie is shot on sound stages, fantastic sound stages. Um, but all the India stuff had to be shot in Sri Lanka because the Indian government was none too happy about the depiction of some of their history and culture. You don't say. <laughs> and they're apparently to this day maybe a little bit touchy. Why couldn't? Okay, so that's interesting that they wouldn't let them film there. Like, why wouldn't they just clean it up? They would let them film there. Uh, it was just this, they wanted cuts made. They, there were certain subjects they didn't want. They, like the word Maharaja was apparently a trigger point. Like they were like, we you can't call that kid that. Like, okay. Like, that's not cool. And like just just the thuggy the history of of that was gotcha. just like we are not in a place where we want other people outside of India talking about that. And you also have an opportunity to kind of speak to the British uh, colonization of India at the time and they don't really do that. Like, he doesn't do that in the movie. It's just like it, it's there but he doesn't they, really... they like blatantly just walk right past that. <laughs> yep, that happened. <laughs> yep. Anyway, so what happens? <laughs> yeah, and just to put the movie in, in historical context, uh, I think Gandhi came out 2 years before this. Uh, yeah, I think you're right. And two of our prince, two of our big Indian actors in this film are in that. Yeah. Uh, the <laughs> other guy I recognize from something else. I forgot now. Uh, the guy with the glasses. The our Street Dalsim. Dalsim. Fucking Doctor Dalsim. Doctor Dalsim. We'll we'll get to him in just a second here. But uh, yeah, the story here is that uh, this village, which by the way is represented uh, like by a matte painting and and two different sets to express just like 
the despair and the misery of the current state of this of this village it is meant to look like Mad Max world. Like it is a blasted landscape, and there are no children, as Kyle had pointed out. Uh, so they had a, a sacred rock in their village, which they all believed like gave peace and tranquility to the land. Um, but some invaders came by, and it stole both the stone and all of the children uh, for. To what end, they weren't aware, but uh, the village chief basically believes that Indy, Willie, and Short Round have all dropped from the heavens, quite literally. Literally, yeah. Uh, to retrieve the stone and their children and bring peace back to the land. Um, so Indy is familiar with the lore behind the stones. At this point, this is in Indy in 1935, who doesn't seem to believe. He's yeah. just like, oh, it's full of hokum, whatever, but... There's a really awesome scene where the guy's laying it all out and Indy just is translating bit by bit uh, to Willie in short round. And I love where he, he pauses about the kids thing. Because like, yeah. he's talking about all the bad things that happened in the village and then at the end he's like, hang on. He like confirms with the guy. Like, They're stealing kids. He's like, you sure about that? And the, kids, the guy's like, yeah. And he's like, they are stealing children. He's and like, he's none too happy about that. So now, now he's invested. Yeah, and we get a really intense sequence uh, that, as a kid, bugged me. It was when the emaciated kid comes down from the hills in the evening. Yeah. Like, that kid looks like he's at death's door. He does. Like, good act, good kid acting. But, uh, yeah, very, like, very shriveled up, emaciated child. He stumbles into the village in the middle of the night while Indy's still there. And, Indy, like, he runs directly into Indy's arms and just, like, it's, like... Collapses, well, yeah. It's an escalation where it's, like, oh, shit. Like, I was kind of on the fence about, like, whether I should do something, but... Now shit got real, but the kid has like a, some sort of script, like a, a canvas, like art piece in his hand, and he says the word Sankara, which Indy's like, hmm, I know what that is, and apparently it's a, five stones that are of, legendary status and of of great worth to whoever would come to possess them. So now Indy's uh, treasure hunting mind is at work and he's very excited. This is where we get that fortune and glory short round. Fortune yeah, and fortune glory. and glory, kid. Um, <laughs> do you think this like set Spielberg on the path to do Schindler's List? Or is that something you think he always wanted to do? Because the Nazis in the first movie uh, and then here uh, bad things happen when good people stand by kind of thing. And that just rolls directly in Schindler's List was like late 80s, early 90s? 92, 91. I can't remember when Jurassic Park came out. It was like I guess both ninety three then. Yeah. yeah. Um I wouldn't doubt it. I mean the man does revisit a lot of themes in his movies, some sometimes to excess or uh absent fathers. I was gonna say you, you, I was about to say absent father. <laughs> yeah, absent fathers, uh reverence for veterans and military service people. Mm-hmm. Um, a healthy reverence for <laughs> healthy. healthy. That is that is a major distinction. Yes. Because Peter Berg. Yeah, it, that's exactly what I had in mind too. Peter Berg, unhealthy. Yeah, unhealthy. <laughs> unhealthy. unhealthy. That man is jerking it from behind that camera. <laughs> he is sponsored by the National Guard. <laughs> Spielberg, though, it's 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 more just like I appreciate. You. Yes, I appreciate you guys. Yeah. Um, but yeah, he does have a lot of themes, so I wouldn't be surprised if something like this could plant the seeds for that uh, because some of the imagery in particular you know probably was mentioned in his household at one time or another in his youth have you gotten to, to schindler's list yet i am i am i am a bad person yeah, Kyle. still i have still. Not, i have not made out with anyone while watching schindler's list <laughs> i mean it's a it's a stone cold bummer uh i i have to see it though it's, it's it's a Saturday night. Don't do it on a Sunday, because then you have to go to work the next day. <laughs> do it on a Saturday, early enough in the evening, maybe like four. 
you know. It's like, what's up with Trevor? His productivity is in the shitter. It's like, he, he just watched Chandler's list. It's, yeah. <laughs> it's, oh, I, I oh, understand. Oh, you give him the day. Just, yeah, just give him some space. Half day today. <laughs> uh, but yeah, Indy and all of, all of the Scooby Squad, uh, they are now on the path to track down uh, Sivalinga, which is the name of the stone from this village. Um, and they get to ride elephants! Asian elephants. Asiatic elephants. Um, and they all get to ride their elephants, and they're on their way to Pankot Palace, which mm-hmm. is not Delhi, which is where everybody wants to go, but not where they're going. going no. um, and I love Short Round kissing his elephant and telling him, you're my best friend. Oh, so cute. <laughs> you're my best friend. But um, we repeatedly get shots of uh, giant bat swarms. Mm-hmm. Uh, Indiana Jones refers to them, like he's teasing Willie. He refers to them not as birds, but as giant vampire bats. I think he does that just to make her scared mm-hmm. they're very clearly fruit bats like vampire bats are the size of your palm if that they're not very but these, these are like flying fox things they're yeah. like three feet wingspan and shit but. i was say everybody talks about australia having all the crazy shit that wants to kill you I'm like uh india motherfucker <laughs> there's a lot of shit in there that wants yeah, to kill you they got a few cobra breeds i think there's tigers they're just tigers yeah there. they just have tigers somebody they're, po- they're uh, just there <laughs> somebody posted on like uh reddit or twitter or something uh it was a a uh, house in South Africa, and uh, first thing in the morning, they've got a big window, like like the whole like the front of your apartment basically is just one big window, and it's got like uh, bars on it, and outside is a fucking lion scraping on the window trying to get in. I'm like, like legit, like walking out of your house is like God. I hope there's no fucking lions around <laughs> here right now. Jesus, it's funny you're mentioning the wildlife, but I think, I think I could run this by pretty much anyone, and they would agree with me scariest part of the jason scott lee jungle book movie quicksand 100 percent. i it, it is burned i've only seen that movie once or tw- i think maybe once or twice as a child mm-hmm. i cannot get that fucking quicksand. i've seen it once yeah i've you, seen it one time kyle that, ne- never again one of the most horrifying things that i saw fat as a child. man going Rah! down that fat man <laughs> drowning in that quicksand terrifying that is some rough shit that's some real shit <laughs> see <laughs> Check, uh, folks at home, check it out. So, somebody po- somebody did like several years ago. They're like, uh, as a child, I thought that quicksand was going to be more of a hazard in adult life than it actually was. I'm like, I thought the same thing, probably for the exact same reasons. Right? Jungle Book. <laughs> right there with you. Um, but yeah, Willie uh, gets splashed off her elephant. She has a, a breakdown, to say the least, <laughs> going yeah. on and on about how great her life in Shanghai was. Um but apparently this scene, she was supposed to have an encounter with a snake while she was in the water. And uh, there was a bargain made on the set where Spielberg was trying to get her to wrangle that snake. And mm. she couldn't do it. She mm. was like, no. Like, I, there is a limit, Steve. Yeah. <laughs> like, She's like, you you already gonna... got me wet. <laughs> like, you're I'm wearing white. <laughs> I talked to Karen, okay? I talked to Karen before this, and you are not torturing me, sir. So I know about the mummies. I know. <laughs> I know you guys spent five hours filming the mummies. <laughs> I saw the snake pit. <laughs> but, yeah, she was supposed to have a scene with the snake here, and a bargain was made that... She would do all the bug stuff he could ask for. Oh, in, in exchange for just one less snake scene. My brother does not like bugs. Uh, I think I would just do the one snake scene. I I'm not crazy about bugs, but one or two bugs is fine. But we're talking over like a room full of bugs. That's a bit much for me, no, even and, if they don't bite. And credit to her, she she did it. She did the bugs. Do you think that he was just like, oh, "That's all right. We don't need you for this snake scene. We got more snakes coming." <laughs> We got plenty of snakes coming. 
Ah, Steve with the big dick energy on the side. <laughs> How about trousers next? What? Nothing! And action! Uh, next scene is campground at night, because immediately after she's, you know, being a baby in the in the waters, Indy's just like, we'll, we'll camp here. Uh, let me go to the restroom real quick, but this reminded me so much of Tropic Thunder. <laughs> Jack Black trying to get the bat that's got his cocaine. <laughs> but yeah. Campgrounds. Yes. So we set up camp for the night, and this scene, very similar. I, I think this was very intentional on the part of Spielberg in the production, where we're going to do a thing where there's going to be a lot of dialogue being tossed around, but all the action that's unfolding on the screen, it's all going to be very muddled and cluttered. Like, a lot of shit's going to be happening that's not at all connected to the dialogue. Mm-hmm. And the dialogue, you could take or leave it, but it needs to be there. So... It, uh, the dinner scene is the best example, mm-hmm. but this isn't yet another example of this, where it's like, the script is kind of weak here, so it's like, let's jazz it up and just have a lot of goofs, like a lot of goofy sight gags and stuff. It remind me of uh, episode five, when he goes to Dagobah, and you've got like just a little sprinkling of animals here yeah. and there, and we've kind of, we're just kind of sitting in that one little spot outside. Uh, it feels very Lucasy. Uh, well, actually, that wasn't even Lucas. That was uh, Kirshner. Kirshner. That was Kirshner. Um, feels Kirshner-ish. <laughs> um, yes, I was saying, uh, I don't know if you left it in, but this reminds me of Tropic Thunder where Jack Black is trying to get the, the, the bat that stole his cocaine. And he's just like chasing it around and they haven't really put it together that it's drugs. And he's just like <laughs> running around and he finally catches the bat and like bites. He's Ozzy like, Osbourne's yeah, it? He bites, he's like, it OD'd. And he's like trying to suck the blood out of it to get the drugs. <laughs> but yeah, she's just run, like, like just stepping back and something scares her, goes a few paces back, something else. It's pretty funny. Yeah, no, it, it, it's a whole menagerie of sight gags. And it's basically, Willie is not equipped to handle the jungle. So let's have fun with that. Yeah. And in the meantime, we get to watch Indy and Short Round have the most delightful poker game. Oh, yeah. Their interplay is spot on. Like it, The timing is fantastic, where Short Round is constantly like telling him, you're cheating! <laughs> like, and like you kind of believe him, but then you discover he's cheating as well. You know, I always, like, you want to get a glimpse into, like, like actors as, like, parents. Like, I, you see pictures of, like, Robert Downey Jr., and, like, you know that that dude is a great dad. Like, I've, I've seen pictures of him. Now. Oh, <laughs> well, yeah, now. <laughs> but there's, like, pictures of him, like, uh, like, for the kids in his neighborhood, he had, like, a showing of uh, Iron Man. He had, like, all the kids over, and, and he'd, like, they all got their sleeping bags and stuff. It's really cool. And you see, like, pictures with his kids. Like, oh, he's probably a good dad. Harrison Ford I've always just kind of thought of as because of the fandom like the like the two giant franchises that he has under his belt like the amount of fucking mouth breathing nerds that have just accosted you just in your everyday life like it probably turns you into an asshole like i'm sure it does but this scene here it's like oh i bet he was probably a really good dad like because this is a nice little scene oh yeah no like so even the behind the scenes footage like i said like he he and short round they they got along with each other they had fun and it translates to the the product that we got on film because this this card scene what what little there is like I I love short round pointing his finger at him and like, I'm very little you cheat very big <laughs> it's like and Indy's come, like throwing it right back at him yeah. and and then it descends into Mandarin at <laughs> one point and then I don't want to play with you anymore <laughs> it's like you cheat I'm done <laughs> it's great it's like two grown men yelling at each other yeah. but you can tell they're they're friends. 
and later on we learn just how how close these two characters are meant to be but um yeah harrison ford i think he's known to be a really big pothead so I, oh I, yeah. I would imagine he's pretty chill as a parent I think he's probably chill. like he's probably yeah, behind closed doors he's probably a completely different guy he's just like super sweet i would guess yeah i, I don't want to get us yeah. totally bogged down here but i, I just want to throw out there that i think it's interesting that i this is just me speaking out of school but I suspect that Harrison Ford has a lot more affinity for Indiana Jones as a character and as a franchise than he does Star Wars. I, I can, I would agree with because that. Because I don't, I don't know, folks at home, if you're aware of this, but I think it's on the books that he's been rallying to kill off Han Solo since <laughs> since Empire. Really? Yes, he wanted out of that franchise from Empire. Like he wasn't supposed to go into Carbonite Freeze. He was supposed to die. I mean. Maybe I don't know how. How after like the impact that that first movie had, how could you not want to continue being a part of that? Unless like him as an actor, just like this is not what I want to do. But like as far as money's concerned, dude. Like well, that's that's the thing that's difficult with like franchise filmmaking and like having your persona tied in so tightly with a fictional character that doesn't belong to you is is that you forget that the person who gives the who breathes life into this character into this character is an actor yeah it's a explore it's an explorative transformative process it's something that you don't want to repeat yourself too often you mm-hmm. want to try new things that's why we get to see unless you're vin diesel unless you're well vin, vin diesel's entire f- film career is based on his his D like fascination that's true like he, he that's, just that makes a lot more sense of like the roles that he takes yeah I'm serious. Like he just like the last witch hunter is literally a D and D campaign. He he ran with his friends yeah. and he financed it and put it on film for nobody's joy other than himself. Yeah. But yeah, you forget that. Like I'm, I'm sure a lot of actors uh, like a challenge also. Yes. And yeah, I guess the challenge just maybe isn't there. No, that's why I've always argued that like seeing actors like Meryl Streep and Robert De Niro in like goofy family comedies seems like a lot of people say oh that seems so beneath them it's like but they haven't really done that before yeah and that's new to them and it's probably fun to try new things and and harrison ford at this point you know he he would go on to be one of if not the most bankable stars through the early part of the 90s and stuff but he's still an actor and that's actually part of why these movies are so amazing as not just action films but just as movies is because he's so goddamn charismatic and Mm -hmm. and calculating in how he uses his face and his body language and stuff and i think han solo was like he was he read the writing on the wall immediately he was like this is too this is too much too much fun (laughs) and yeah he's been trying he was trying to have that character killed from the second movie and you know finally he got his wish they still got him to come back for that very last one (laughs) just for a second all three of those, but I, my favorite Han Solo moment is in Episode Four, where he's screaming, running down the down the hallway. We get a nod to that in this movie, oh, God. but that is maybe my favorite moment. <laughs> it, it is Ac- no, actually, my favorite Han Solo moment is the finger to C three PO at Hoth. Oh yeah, he just turns around, no words, just just mm-hmm. pursed lips, and just like don't, just shut the fuck up. I do, I do. <laughs> I can't like, use that word in this movie, but you see it on my face. I do like his. Then I'll see you in hell. I, <laughs> I, I, I love that. I love that delivery. I love the. I love the scenario. He's like, I'm gonna go find my friend. You're gonna die. I mean, there's too many. Yeah. I mean, either, I think we both need. We we're gonna have to. We, just sit we, down. Need, we need to pull back yeah. from that. It's a we're diff, gonna, different conversation yeah. for a different day. But point is, I, I think Harrison Ford actually likes being indie. 
I can see that. I don't think that was maybe the case with Han Solo as maybe much. The outfit. Maybe he just likes the the leather jacket. I mean, it is pretty bad. It is pretty badass. I mean, like, like you said, like give give me like five, five years, years. Yeah. <laughs> and I'll probably I'll probably have the whole ensemble. Yeah. Um, but yeah, Willie, uh, she there. We have a good setup to a, a good payoff joke in the form of a, the elephant like brushing her with its trunk. Mm-hmm. She keeps telling it like. Buzz off! Get yeah. off me! And then it keeps doing it, keeps doing it. It's a visual reminder that hey, like remember that image. It's a snick. Um, but I love the. Uh, she grabs a, a bat, like she thinks it's her towel or something, yeah. and it turns out to be a bat, and it has the tiniest fucking head. Ah, like its proportions are, even to this day, I'm like what the fuck is wrong? With yeah. But I love the the monkey, because that monkey looks so embarrassed. Because, like, she's running back and forth, and it's this fun gag where she can't find a corner to hide in in this, yeah. in this clearing. But at one point, one of the animals they throw at her is just, like, a monkey that's hanging out, and it immediately dips out of the frame. <laughs> it's like, oh, I'm sorry, lady. Sorry. <laughs> like, he looks so embarrassed. And then there's, like, an owl and stuff, and, like, a monitor lizard. Um, but the big payoff is uh, she asks Indy, like, so what is this fucking stone that we're going after? And he shows her the uh, the the tapestry <laughs> the like the the rag that the child had brought to the village and she explains like uh, we're going after sankara stone it's it's part of myth apparently some fella named sankara had a meeting with the god shiva and was given five rocks to combat the forces of evil that's all we get in this movie and that's all i'm gonna work yada, yada 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 <laughs> i'm real tired today um but the the payoff to the elephant trunk is that Willie gets a brush on her back, and instead of the elephant trunk, she doesn't even look. She just assumes it's a python. Yeah. And she grabs it, and she's like, I said to knock it the fuck off! And she throws it, and uh, Indy's reaction is just like, <gasps> <laughs> like, he just points, and he can't even get words out of it. Like, I'm afraid of snakes. You're going to die, because I'm not going to touch that thing. And, and that's a really subtle reminder to that character trait. Yeah. Is that, like, they don't go into detail. They don't, like, really drive it home. It's just like, if you remembered it, cool. Yeah. If not, you got to see Harrison Ford make a funny face, and she got to you know you got the payoff with her character but uh, we hop back on the elephants in the morning and we arrive at the matte painting i mean the palace yeah the palace <laughs> uh Pankot palace uh we have a really suspenseful scene where they come across a statue covered in human fingers i think that's and what it looked like i had statue blood thing is what i have yeah it, it's like a statue of kali that's covered in like recently severed human fingers which is very unsettling very unsettling and i love uh it's a subtle thing but indy actually shouts back at like short round don't come up here like he just straight like short round like i said not he's usually treated as an adult in this case it's like no it feels <laughs> it feels like we're going to uh colonel kurtz's compound in apocalypse now <laughs> a little bit yeah. yeah um it it's it's good mood building and all the guides are freaking out in fact they run away and take the elephants with them so they have to hoof it up to pankot palace uh i i really don't care much for the exterior set of the palace i don't think uh, spielberg did either because we spend no time we spend here. no time there nothing like it it must he must have just looked at it and be like well this is shit this is, shit. <laughs> this is where i i have a, a bit of a problem with the movie is um we don't really tra- like we're done traveling now like we're here this yeah. is where the rest of the movie takes place um uh, which is kind of disappointing because like once we get to the palace and then we get to the quote-unquote temple of doom um, it would have been nice just to have like a little bit of a sequence where we get to it, like we get to that place, like hidden deep in the jungle or something. But no, it's just like there's a uh, trick wall there, and uh, no problem. Yeah, it's a radically different rhythm uh, as compared to almost any of the other Indiana Jones films. Um, 
like I said, this one kind of excises the treasure hunt aspect of, of the plot. Um, mm-hmm. Like, there is a treasure hunt, there is a MacGuffin in the form of the stone, uh, but the actual pursuing of the stone, we get it, like, right away. Right away. Like, like we get it pretty much as soon, like, we don't even have to hunt it down. It's like, we walk in the room, it's like, oh, it's right there. <laughs> it's like, you know? So the movie isn't about that. And actually, I think the movie is keenly aware of that. Yeah. And it makes for a very different experience. Um, I... I I don't mind it so much, but um, yeah, it is. It feels almost stifling, mm-hmm. where it's like, oh, I didn't expect to be at the temple that quick. Like I, I thought there was going to be another leg to the journey. Like we'd get to the palace and then we'd have to do something else. It's like no, it's it's in the basement. Like, it's it's right there. <laughs> but uh, they get there and they're greeted by um, Roshan. Roshan Seth, Roshan Seth. Uh, who is also I think he played Nehru in uh, Gandhi. I was going to say, Gandhi did come out in 82, so it was yes. a couple years before. Uh, he was, Nehru was kind of tight with Gandhi. He was a prominent member of the cast of that film. He had a big role. Sir Richard Attenborough directed Gandhi. Correct. Uh, I saw that in middle school, I think. Three hours long? Did you watch for class? Yes. Okay, I was going to say, that's that's a week, that's a week's worth of content right there. Yeah, I, I enjoyed the movie. Um, Martin Sheen always made me laugh because he keeps referring to him as Mr. Gandhi. <laughs> Martin Sheen's in that. Yes, he, play, never, he plays an American reporter. I've never seen that one. But yeah, Mr. Gandhi. <laughs> he's like, how many fucking times I gotta tell you? <laughs> we'll have to we'll have to exchange epics. You'll have to watch Schindler's List, and I'll have to watch Gandhi because uh, they're roughly the same same runtime. I mean, one of those is a lot more fun than the other. <laughs> I'm hoping you mean Gandhi's the more yes, fun one. Yes, obviously. <laughs> I'm like, how dark is Gandhi? <laughs> um, but yeah, Roshan Seth, uh, big, big uh, British slash Indian actor. Um, <laughs> previous episode, Street Fighter, the motion picture, the film uh, from 1994. Um, and he plays Chatter Lal, uh, who's kind of the... I don't know, the right-hand man to the Maharaja of Pankot Palace. And uh, he greets us, and he is immediately suspect because he uses words like enchanted mm-hmm. when he greets a woman, which is, as my girlfriend pointed out, probably very regular in other languages. Mm-hmm. But as an American, yeah. like with a, with an apostrophe in America mm-hmm. behind it, that is unusual. Yeah. <laughs> that is sus, yeah. <laughs> as the kids say. Yeah. Um, but yeah, they are invited in, and then we get to see... Doctor Henry Jones, mm-hmm. uh, because Indiana Jones somehow just had his his professor outfit handy. Yeah, um, and it always makes me happy to see him like this because it doesn't happen very often in the movies. Mm-hmm. But you know, this is Harrison Ford in his handsomest moments, like like, and he's like dressed up like a professor. It's kind of cool. It's like that's the same guy. Wow. Does he have his glasses here? He does. Yeah, yeah, he has his glasses, and he is introduced to Captain Blumbert, uh, who Phil- is. It? British guy. Yes. Philip Stone, uh, he plays Grady in The Shining. Remember, I corrected them. The creepy the creepy uh, waiter. I did not put that together. Oh, I, I, as soon as I saw him, I'm like, that's Grady. Yeah, uh, Kyle is a big Kubrick fan. Uh, so he, he knows films like The Shining quite a bit more intimately than I do. Possibly my favorite scene from that movie is that. It's one of the most chilling. It's it's very, very chilling, that okay. scene. Yeah, I did not put that together, but this this fella is only in a couple scenes in this film, but he's a British commander uh, stationed in India, and uh, he and uh, Chacha Lal have a... They have a catty relationship. <laughs> like they, you don't say. Yeah, it, it, uh, for obvious reasons. But um, then we get the dinner scene. Yeah, the, we have this weird little king kid. Uh, I... To this day, I suspect, 
played by a little girl. I think it's a boy. So I think he's got his shirt off later. I mean, I could be wrong, but it, it is I think possible. that was a different kid, but this is not. This is a very common thing when it comes to child actors because you take what you can get. Like if, if <laughs> no, I mean, not every kid is equipped to be on camera. Yeah, like, let's let's face it, man. <laughs> and, um, and yeah, it's fairly common. Like especially in a lot of Chinese films, I've noticed. Like it's very common to have girls playing boys and vice versa. Um, but yeah, uh, Maharaja Zalim Singh. Uh, who's a very small child, probably the same age as uh, Short Round, um, which kind of dashes uh, Willie's hopes of being a, of establishing a gold digger relationship with the, the Maharaja because uh, she's a considerably older than them. Um, but yeah, they all sit down to dinner, and this is one of the more uh, famous scenes in the whole movie uh, because once again we're doing that trick where we're having a lot, a lot of motion on camera, a lot of movement, a lot of visual gags and then a lot of uh, kind of stale dialogue being exchanged back and forth that doesn't really relate to anything going on in the background but it gives it life and i think that was the objective was that spielberg read the writing on the wall and understood yeah this is kind of boring like, yeah we, we got to have something happen <laughs> it is a fella oh it's phil yeah wow well, well, i thought so um yeah this is where it gets really problematic um and there's another thing that I just forgot about was the voodoo doll as well. Put a pin in that. Literally put a pin in that. Um, <laughs> so yeah, we get uh, we get snake surprise. I just wanted to highlight the meals here. So yeah, we've got dialogue between uh, Indiana and the other two dudes just kind of talking. And then we get snake surprise, which is uh, a cooked boa constrictor. Uh, and they slice it open, and then they're... Are they little snakes or eel? Or like, I think it's eels. I think it's little eels that just, like, pop out. And they're just, like, crawling all over the table, and it's really gross. I'm like, I don't think that's what they eat. No, absolutely not. But the objective here was to, like, tap into your inner schoolboy and just, like, come up with whatever gruesome what's it you could like yeah. this is this is where the cultural insensitivity enters in or like none of this is, has any connection to real indian history or culture but it was just like just steven spielberg and the rest of the production taking things for a walk and just coming up with whatever juvenile stupid gags they could come up with snake surprise as far as the, it actually gets worse as it goes along uh we do get bugs like beetles basically and it's, it's kind of eaten like an oyster I love uh, the guy that they got to eat everything on camera. Yeah. That, that guy was... Mm, perfect, yeah. No. Pitch perfect casting. He's he's like peeling the butt off of the beetle and he's like, you are not eating? Yeah, the way he does it is just like, this is real. Like, yeah, is he's legit. very casual, but the way he phrases it with the upward intonation, he's just like, he's just like you are not eating? Like, he's super cheery. Uh, and then we have eyeball soup, which is like, okay, now we're just getting ridiculous. Yeah. Uh, and then uh, for dessert, I like the this was really creepy. And this is where... At this point, if you're uh, a parent with their kid in 1984 watching this, you have everybody gets their own personal severed monkey head. And we just like uh, like Hannibal Lecter pop the top off and the guy's just eating Everybody chilled. has their own miniature Ray Liotta head. Yeah. <laughs> and we eat chilled monkey brains. Chilled monkey brains. <laughs> Jeez. It's, yeah. Oof. Yeah, apparently it was like some sort of fruity custard or something i mean it does make you want the fruit with the jello in it or, or, strike that reverse it <laughs> jello with the fruit in it uh, but yeah this was one of the more famous scenes in the movie a lot of people remember this a lot of people yes. commented on this when it initially it's came hard out. to forget yeah no it, it's 
like, it's fun. Like, it's fun for little kids, you know? <laughs> for kids! <laughs> but, yeah, for kids. Um, but some of the dialogue that's that's tossed back and forth here is really cutting, like, really uh, aggressive. Because basically, uh, Chaturglau is very defensive because Indy is kind of walking circles around like, hey, so I hear there's, like, a cult in the basement. <laughs> What's up with that? What's up with that? <laughs> um, but the point is that, like, they, they, this is the first time it comes up in the in dialogue is the thuggy cult mm-hmm. uh, is what he's referencing here. And Chatter Lal mentions it's like, that shit hasn't been talked about for a hundred years. And the British fella uh, from The Shining, he's like, dude, we wiped them out a hundred years ago. Like, we stomped them. Jeez. And Chandra Lal is just like, yeah, we don't do that anymore. We don't like to talk about it either, so maybe <laughs> cut it out. Why don't you change the subject? <laughs> yeah, cut, cut it out, bruh. <laughs> um, but Indy won't let it go, and then uh, Chandra Lal gets kind of uh, aggro about it, and he kind of throws it back in his face and mentions Honduras and Madagascar as two places that apparently Indy is not welcome back to. Hmm. Um, we don't explicitly hear mention of exactly why that might be, but point is he's made enemies in those countries. Uh, so I thought that was interesting because, like, remember this is 1935 Indy, so maybe he maybe he wasn't as chill about things as he used as he is in Raiders and onward. Might have got a little frisky with uh, the wrong wrong ladies too. Well, there's there's a fun bit where like he he asks and he like like weren't they gonna cut off your head or something? He's like, it wasn't my head, and he's like, <laughs> well, how about your hands? He's like. Wasn't my hands. <laughs> it's like, oh, I think we both know oh, what you're getting at. Yes. <laughs> yes. Um, but yeah, we we successfully complete the dinner. Willie doesn't have a bite of nothing. Um, Indy would... Indy got on the good side of the table because I think he was eating something. Yeah, like he didn't get served any of the, the some, strange stuff. Maybe some. Yes, maybe he maybe got a. Well, he did get some fruit. Yeah, as we'll see. Um, yeah, but we're wrapping up for the evening. We're all in our pajamas and whatnot in the palace. And uh, Indy brings Willie a plate of fruit. Mm-hmm. And uh, we get innuendo the for horny, about five yeah. minutes. Yeah, I just have horny stuff. Yeah. Oh, yeah. This is just five minutes of horny stuff. But uh, this is where that scene that I mentioned about uh, <laughs> Short Round having seen some stuff. Yeah. Uh, so I didn't catch this until this viewing of the film. But um, Indy tells Short Round as Willie's heading into her bedroom. They have two separate bedrooms. He's like... I think I'm going to go check on Willie. And Short Round says, that's all you better do. <laughs> but then as he's like walking into the doorway like backwards, tell me what happens later. <laughs> yeah, that that I was like, uh, no, I'm not telling you what happens. Jeez. Um, but yeah, we have innuendo for a good solid five. He tells him to am scrape, by the way. That's something that needs to be rein- reintroduced into American English. What? Amscray. Amscray. Yeah. I, I never heard it in daily speech, but I've always liked the sound of it. Uh, our, uh, Steph and I use pig Latin uh, to say things around the dog because mm. she has trigger words like ball, outside. So we're like, do all bay. Like, yeah, we're going to go. Earmuffs. Yeah. <laughs> do you want to take uh, uh, ick? We call her, we just call her a dick because she's a, she's, a, she's a border collie. She's just kind of an asshole. So do you want to take ick day or uh, um, ick day for some all bay? Yeah. That's fun. Um, but we get a really enjoyable sequence where uh, Indy kind of fudges his flirtations a little bit because he, he just presumes he's going to. He's gonna close. Oh yeah, he, uh, closing he, is. He's in like. He's basically. They could have just like in like Ford. Could have been in like Flynn. Like yeah, oh, yeah. no, no. He'll, no, and it's it's a fun visual gag because like he's carrying on the innuendo as he's shutting the door like behind him, 
and then she opens the one door she's like hang on now <laughs> like i'm not that easy and he's like i'm not either but i am yeah. <laughs> but um there's a fun beat that's like really highlighted by john williams score like it's a very playful piece of music that we're cutting back and forth between the two of them waiting for the other one to come in mm-hmm. to jump their bones and they're both like looking in the mirror and like grooming themselves harrison ford like looks for his nose hairs and he's just like laying on the bed just like clapping his hands on the mattress and they're both just like who's gonna break first um but before they can decide on what to do um india surprise attacked assassin uh, I, assassin assassin <laughs> i really love the the paintings on the wall like the decoration of his room has mm. like a whole bunch of just people like painted on the walls and then just like one of them moves towards him from the background it's like really seamlessly done it's just like hang on is that is that painting moving and that's just on him interesting dan Aykroyd is in this movie and we've got gags from nothing but trouble we've got the eyes behind the like eyes in the uh, painting and we also have roller coaster in that that sends the people to the the bone crusher yeah um twilight zone the movie i think came between raiders and temple of doom and while Aykroyd wasn't in Spielberg's segment of that movie. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if the two of them knew each other. In fact, John Landis and Spielberg had a falling out on that movie. Really? For very obvious reasons. That was the helicopter death. Oh. Yeah. Uh, Was it Vic Morrow, I think, was the actor? And then a a couple of kids also died uh, on Landis's watch. Um, he did have a career after that. Uh, he was apparently exonerated, but... He... Exonerated. <laughs> but uh, famously, Spielberg kind of put his foot down and said, like, I don't know if I don't know if the two of us can be seen together anymore, buddy. <laughs> yeah, that's a, that's a tough one to come back from. Well, yeah, and, and, you know, remember, this is right around the time he's doing things like E.T. and stuff. It's like, the, the man was, he had a rocket ship strapped to his yeah. ass. Like, you, you can't break that momentum. So, like, I wouldn't be surprised if uh, Spielberg knew Aykroyd through Landis and they were just, like, friends straight up. I can see that. Um, but, yeah, <laughs> nothing but trouble, folks at home. Check it out. It's yeah. First episode of Catching Up on Cinema. Yeah. All the way back to the All beginning. the way back. Um, but, yeah, we have a little uh, melee here in uh, Indy's bedroom. Uh, it's, it's a brief melee, but one thing that is notable about it is this scene almost derailed the production. <laughs> really? Yeah. Uh, there's just a really simple beat in the choreography where uh, Indy's being strangled from behind and he flips the guy over his head, you mm-hmm. know, like like you do. Like, yeah, like we've you... all done that on the playground with our friends, you know, yeah. <laughs> like as kids and stuff. Uh, apparently, Harrison Ford, like, destroyed his back doing Ooh. that. And I think it delayed them six weeks. Oh, and wow. Had, and he had to get surgery. Jeez. Um, such that the the climactic fist fight with the big fella in mm-hmm. the mines was mostly shot with his stunt double. Hmm. Um, you see, and also I think uh, when Short Round burns him, all the fist fighting on that platform, like in front of the statue, he looks stiff. Hmm. Like I, I'm pretty sure that was like post surgery. Do you th- I, I don't, I've never seen the movie, but I've only seen the clip of Billy Crystal and Robin Williams in Father's Day headbutting people in the like he headbutts somebody. And Billy Crystal's like, you're doing it wrong, because he, like, hurts his head. And he's like, you're using your head. You have to use your back. You have to use your back to headbutt people. And they just start, they just, like, running through people headbutting. I have never seen that, but now I, I really I, want to. I want to watch it all the way through, but I've seen that scene. It's really funny. Yeah, Billy Crystal, at a certain point in time, like, 
90. It's like it's like 88 to like 92. There's just like a little window right there. I really liked him. I like I I kind of miss him actually. Like he was a unique style of comedian. It gets shit on, but I like analyze this. That first one with Robert De Niro. I do too. It's it's a lot of fun. That was a big hit in our household. Oh yeah, like my we, dad in particular loved that. That was movie. my yeah, my parents same. It was a big yeah. hit. No, my dad loved that movie. But um yeah, uh, they defeat this guy by Indy whips the guy. And then the guy yanks the whip out of his hand and it goes up into the ceiling fan. And uh, this man gets strangled to death by a ceiling fan. Again, we're in a kids movie right Again, now. Again, for kids! <laughs> <laughs> um, but then Indy jumps into the uh, neighboring bedroom where Willie is. And we have a fun bit where she thinks he's come to jump into bed with her. And, yeah. she, and she keeps like heading him off and being like, I'm right, right here. here. Yeah. But he's like looking for intruders and whatnot. And then he finds a, a draft coming out of the wall yeah and <laughs> he's filling up the statue she's like i'm right here oh <laughs> <laughs> I mean, because yeah this this is a busty statue yeah yeah he grabs a hold of some some what's it yeah. <laughs> uh, he grabs a hold of what's ever hanging out there and uh, he pushes the statue into the wall and he discovers a secret passage yeah which leads to uh the trap room um so shorty get our stuff uh, we get our stuff and short round at indiana jones head into the bug tunnel which is, of course, comprised of bugs. Um, there's a couple of dead mummies hanging from chains on the wall uh, that Short Round reveals. These are some of the worst-looking fake dead bodies I've seen. Yeah. Like, in anything. Yeah, it's pretty bad. They're terrible. Like, yeah. even as a kid, I was like, those don't look like people. Like, no. I, I was like, those look worse than Legend of the Hidden Temple. <laughs> like, um, but they come to a room, and uh, Short Round steps on a button on the floor, and it causes the, the passage to close down behind them, so they're trapped safe for now but trapped yeah and indy's just like don't don't touch anything he does the dad thing just just, just don't just don't yeah he's getting frustrated too he's just like don't touch anything yeah i mean if if your dad's ever been mad at you you've heard this tone yeah just just, just don't just don't (laughs) it's like i can't i'm gonna say things i'm gonna regret just (laughs) and he tells him like go stand against the wall yeah and And he stands against and he stands against the wall but he hits a button that sets off the trap, which causes the ceiling to descend down on them and spikes to come out of both the floor and the ceiling. And he's like, I did what you said! You can't blame me! See, I, the, uh, I think this is one area where Spielberg's not very good at because I had a problem in the first movie uh, as well was the timing for the, like, when in the beginning when that door is coming down. Like, it's literally, like, it's coming down, and we keep going back, and it's up higher each time. It's up just as high each time we keep going back. So it's like, okay, like... It would have closed. Same here. This this contraption is closing down on them, and Willie is just still kind of like hanging out by the statue. She she gets a, like a a robe be- yeah. before she goes into the tunnel. <laughs> like we're on the clock right now. Yeah, we got and, to go. <laughs> and like this thing's coming down. She hasn't even she's not even felt up the statue to get to the, the to the trap door to the passage yet. Um, but yeah, this was where I'm like, okay. Is not he's not good at like building that tension, uh, in my opinion. See, I did I agree with you until she gets to them. Once she gets there, once she yes. gets to them, it's gold. Yes, but yes, you're absolutely right. It she it takes a little. There's a few too many beats. Yeah. her getting down the hallway to them. Mm-hmm. Um, so I do agree with you there. But um, yeah, uh, the ceiling's coming down and the the intercutting, the timing of the cuts. Once she's there and they're all shouting at each other, it's. But yeah, the, the dialogue exchange between everyone is fantastic. Because, like, Willie is just asking all the dumbest fucking questions. She, yeah. keep, she keeps go- going on and on about all the bugs and how uncomfortable she is. Yeah. Short rounds screaming. And at one point, Indiana Jones goes from, like, 
constructive, useful dialogue to straight up just shut up. Yeah, <laughs> like and, I think this is where we get the Willie shut up. Yeah. Yes, just straight up Willie shut up, yeah. <laughs> and, and it's fantastic because he starts out civil, mm-hmm. like he starts out like trying to give her steps. Yes, like yes. he's like it's constructive. We're moving towards a goal, but then eventually he's just like shut up. <laughs> we are going to die. Yes, that is the best line to come out of the sequence. But before that, again. Indiana Jones may as well be an angry dad without a child. Yeah. Until that fourth movie. We don't talk about that, though. Well, we will. But he even gets, he even sneaks in a your other right. Yeah. <laughs> You're right! Your other right! Your other right. <laughs> yeah, your other right. I've gotten that one so many fucking times. We've, we've gotten it. Yeah. We've all we've gotten, all gotten it. But it's it's fantastic stuff. Like, Indy puts a, a skull up in the... Like the, the the wheel, wheel yeah. that, that causes the mechanism to descend. And the goal here is that Willie has to reach into like a, a hole in the wall to pull a lever. And Indy's just like urging her to just get it fucking right. Just, yeah. You have one job. <laughs> like, and yes, we are going to die. Uh, but eventually, yes, she's covered head to toe in bugs. All credit to Kate Capshaw. She literally did that covered in bugs. And these are some gnarly fucking bugs. Yeah. Um, she pulls the lever, the door opens up, and then she comes in, and then the punchline to the gag is that she's, like, jittery, like, trying to shake all the bugs off her, and she bends over, and her butt hits the same switch that Short Rounded hit, and so the music ramps up again, and the, the walls start closing down again, and they have to, like, scramble out instead of just, like, casually saunter out. And uh, we get a call back to the first film, uh, Raiders, where uh, when he was escaping the temple, he had to grab his whip out from under the door. In this case, it's his hat. Um, and then we uh, enter a lovely matte-painted lava tunnel. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a lot of that in this movie. In fact, the the like Pankot Palace at sunset when they first get there, mm-hmm. beautiful. That's a good map. Yeah, I forgot to mention that map. Yeah, it, it's absolutely beautiful. And apparently, a lot of those were inserted for timing purposes, just to like pad out the movie a little bit because they actually ran into the the weirdest problem to have in making an action movie is that they're like. Oh shit! This thing moves too fast. Like we need to, we need to have some pit stops here and there. You know what's interesting is like Matt, like you and I both adore matte painting, like good matte paintings. Oh yeah. Um, yeah. But I, I, I wish they could bring it back because like what artists are capable of, capable of now, I'd really be interested to see matte paintings now. And I don't really think it's it's utilized anymore. I feel like it's a it's a dead technology. I can't think of any contemporary films that I could pinpoint that had matte paintings. You might want to look into your Lord of the Rings. That that that's the exception. That's they, that's they uh, may have utilized them for that. We think about the time that was shot. I mean, all three of those movies were shot at the same time. Yeah, in, two, in like ninety nine to two thousand, like ninety nine to two thousand, I think is when that was basically filmed. Mm-hmm. So that's a it's almost a different era. Like that was at the end of that, basically. Yeah, I, I don't know how much better you can make a matte painting because so much of it is just the perspective, fidel- yeah. the fidelity of the art, mm-hmm. and, and yeah, just matching the perspective and whatnot. Miniatures, on the other hand, we have we have gotten yeah really advanced with that stuff. That stuff's amazing yeah. to me. And that the uh, miniatures, man. The, yeah. I, I pop a boner for miniatures. <laughs> I was gonna say <laughs> miniatures are your wheelhouse for sure. Uh, but yeah, we we get to the we finally get to the titular Temple of Doom, although it's never referred to as such. It's it's kind of amazing actually, because when you really think about it, Temple of Doom, seems like such a simple title, and yet there could only be one in cinematic history, mm-hmm. and they nailed it. Yeah, it's like they. 
they represented a Temple of Doom very well. But it's like it's one of those titles that's like you, I'm sure there's tons of fantasy novelists and whatnot who who had that same title like pending or something. But they're whoever got there first got to claim that, and it just so happens it wasn't until the mid '80s in American cinema that we got a Temple of Doom. John, um, writer for Conan. Uh, oh, uh, Robert E. Howard. Uh, no, no, the scri- uh, script guy. Oh, John Milius. John Milius. He has probably had a Temple of Doom somewhere written. You think? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this movie came out and he's just like, fucking shit. Yeah, it's like, crumples it up and he's like, well, back to working on Temple of the Gorilla Boners and <laughs> like, or whatever the fuck. Um, but yeah, uh, Kyle, you want to walk us through the introduction yes, to I, both the Thuggy Cult and the Temple of Doom? I, I This actor, I believe, has passed away and I don't know if he's been in much else, but the our main like high priest dude, I guess, whatever you want to call him, the dude is terrifying and he has incredible presence. Yes, Amrish Puri. Yeah, uh, is the name of the actor. I'm not going to say that too often because that that was taxing on my lips. Yeah. But um, uh, apparently has like 400 credits. It, but all like uh, in, or were they all Indian productions? Yes, they yeah. were all Indian productions for the most part. But he also was in Gandhi. He was. I was going to say he was the other one of the other much actors much in smaller actor, like much smaller role than uh, the fellow that played Nehru. Um, but yes, apparently this guy, he was the bad guy in Indian cinema for decades. I could see it. And yes, actually, that that was a comment I had with with the girlfriend was like, man, upon recently rewatching this film, it's like I kind of wish he had more dialogue. I wish he had more. Yeah, I yeah, wish he... I, I could have used more Malaram because he he has incredible presence, but like actually just like hearing him talk, mm-hmm. like his line deliveries are really solid, really powerful. Like he 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 knew exactly what to do with this character. He's a heel. I wish I, <laughs> I might actually try to find some of his. Uh, some of his other stuff, maybe like his highlights of uh, good, good, good word choice, by the way. Apparently, uh, the, I saw an interview uh, with the fellow that plays Chaturlal uh, saying that apparently Malaram's actor maybe was a wrestler at some point. Mm, like, he, he, re- he remarked on his physique and he's like, yeah, I think he was like a wrestler or something. He's like always kind of a big dude. <laughs> yeah, he... Yeah, it's it's kind of disappointing. There's another actor I'm trying to think of where they had like just really an awesome like iconic role and then just like nothing else. I can't think of there was somebody else I had an American actor and I think they may have, may have passed away kind of young, um, where they just never got the opportunity. But he was like 72 when he passed away, so he had a full oh yeah no, full he had career. a full career full life just not in American cinema. yeah not in American cinema but yeah I could have used more dialogue from him and honestly Indian cinema cinema is not something that I've explored. Uh, hardly at all, as far as uh, as far as Asian uh, film and go. Yeah, uh, same here. Uh, it's a it's a curious thing because it's famously been like Bollywood. Yes. Not, not necessarily hint like Indian cinema, like yeah. Tamil cinema or whatever, however you want to call it. Like Bollywood is not all of Indian yeah. cinema. Um, famously, is like one of the biggest film markets in the world, and yet most of us have such little exposure to I've <laughs> definitely done some Indian horror for sure I know at least a couple movies that I've seen uh, Indian horror wise but that's the extent of it yeah I've, I've just seen a couple of Bollywood productions and a couple of like soap operas yeah I mean apparently they're like beating Korea with uh, their soap operas apparently like the corniness of it is off the rails yeah they're they're not afraid to just keep things cartoonish and melodramatic um, we've we've all seen clips of uh, Indian soap operas. For oh yeah, sure. oh yeah, yeah. 
<laughs> and you know like people like to talk about like the ridiculous over the topness of american action cinema and stuff it's like you ain't seen shit <laughs> right <laughs> like you could look up the the lightest of bollywood action cinema and find something way more out there <laughs> um but yeah we entered the temple of doom and uh it's this is john williams like as creative as you'll maybe see him where it's like you know he has his traditional marches and his thematic scores and stuff like all the main characters in this movie and in pretty much all the indiana jones movies have a melody to accompany them like short round has a very distinct theme that plays willie same deal indy of course has the raiders march yeah. but um the music for like the chanting and and the percussion and the the chimes it's so creative and just like out there yeah we we I'm trying to think of like so far in the film have we had like explicit violence really so far that, that not so much on screen I mean we, we did have a man get skewered by some flaming meat uh, yeah. we did we saw a person get shot but, squib, but, yeah. it, but the squib was obscured by a windshield um, um, I mean the guy going up into the fan we didn't see the impact or anything seeing somebody hanging is always unsettling to me but even even in this movie it wasn't that bad yeah, that's a weird that's a weird recurrence in catching up on cinema history. Kyle has a thing about hangings. I, I just a lot of movies that Kyle picks have hangings. I just recently <laughs> watched The Lodge, and there's a, a, a hanging scene in there. By the way, you can skip the hell out of that. I uh, it wasn't on my radar. <laughs> uh, Riley Keough, gorgeous to look at. Fine, fine enough actress, but yeah, that movie you can just you can throw that in the dump. <laughs> uh, but the uh, guy who plays Thor in Oakenshield from the Hobbit movies is the dad in that movie, which is so weird seeing him not as a fucking Hobbit. I've never actually or, seen dwarf. Him. Sorry, I don't dwarf. think I've ever actually seen him without the exactly. makeup, so I don't actually know what to it's look for. It's so crazy to see him without it. Like that's what he looks like. It's it doesn't even look like him. Kind of like Lee pa- when you see Lee Pace on his own, and like that's Ronan. Jeez. <laughs> Yeah, for real. Yeah. <laughs> um, but uh, where the fuck were we at? Uh, the oh, the, yeah. The so what's crazy is that we get to this and like the tone completely changed. Like just the just the set itself is like wow, this is pretty spooky. And I th- think we were. I don't know if we were past the scary devil worshiping phase in American culture, like. There was a, a bit of a scare, I think maybe in the 80s, like sometime in the 80s. Mostly in the 70s, but yeah, it did bleed into the early 80s from what I've read. And it was like a legit thing people were scared of. So when this... this the satanic panic is yeah. what the Wikipedia entry would probably be called. Um, when we get to the scene, I'm like, I feel like this would have... Like this was a two-part really upsetting for American audiences. One, we're about to see a heart get ripped out of a man's chest. And two this feels like like a satanic ritual kind of thing. So I could see people really being pissed. A lot of pissed off moms in the Midwest watching this thing in the theater. I mean, later on in the film, we ex- we explicitly hear it stated on film that the objective of the cult is to stamp out other religions and conquer the earth. And our, they, they say the Christian God. <laughs> like Our dude's got like kind of like like a hornish helmet thing too. Yeah. yeah it's so. like a, it's like part like water buffalo. It's like comprised of like skull and animal hair and then like a shrunken head in the center if you would have had a black goat that this would have been unacceptable fuck that goat yeah <laughs> fuck that goat seriously man if you black pull, tom if, fuck you. you you pull a black goat and like okay now we've crossed the line <laughs> we've crossed the line um but yeah uh, we're introduced to malaram uh he he 
we also like cross cut between him and Zalim Singh, uh, the Maharaja. Mm-hmm. So we see that there is an upstairs and a downstairs to Pankot Palace, where there's a f- much like Outworld. Yes. Yes, there's a public face where it's like, oh, we're all clean and organized here, and then the basement. Oh, they're up to no good. Awful things are happening. Yes. Yeah, and the ceremony here involves a unfortunate fella being carted out from the back, uh, strapped to a metal cage. And then uh, Malaram walks up to him, and I think he he gives he like he's very like kind to him at first. Yes. He like he gives him like a caress on the cheek, and he says a prayer or something. And then he's like, ah, "I'm gonna take your heart," <laughs> <laughs> and he just he just cleanly just puts his hand into the guy's chest cavity. I wish that we, they would have had like uh, like some. There was marketing for a while in the two thousand like the 2010s uh they were marketing horror movies and they're doing like audience reactions to horror movies yes i remember that paranormal activity that was definitely one of them there's a couple others that they did but um i wish they would have had uh audience reactions for this movie back when it played (laughs) in 1984 because i just feel like it would have been insane it would have been pretty insane to see in the theater oh yeah yeah he he takes the man's heart out it's still beating in his hand it reminds me of dumb and dumber (laughs) rips the dude's heart out puts it in the bag yeah um that was one of my favorite bits in that whole movie. That movie's gold. It's fantastic. Uh, yeah. But, um, and then the guy's chest cavity closes on its own. And yeah. Indy remarks, he's still alive. Yeah. And girl, girlfriend, again, medical background's like, oh, you can't do that. You can't do that. <laughs> <laughs> you got maybe 30 seconds, if that. Uh, but then they, they put this guy down a pit. So there's, they're descending him down in this cage into a lava pit a lava whirlpool if you will again we have a dude who's just had his heart ripped out of his chest at a quote-unquote satanic ritual and he is being lowered <laughs> to the bowels of hell to the bowels of hell to burn alive yes. again pg yeah. <laughs> kids movie for kids <laughs> this is for kids <laughs> yes but yeah he goes down screaming <laughs> as you would as yes. you're about to be cooked alive yes he is set on fire before he hits the lava which which is awful but yeah. then uh the heart which is disconnected from the man by the way yeah. is still in Malaram's hand it catches fire because awesome. apparently its owner is on fire yes fucking awesome. this is awesome yeah this is metal <laughs> yeah this is yeah like you can hear the black metal music about to kick in with this this then, this sight icing on the cake is Malaram going ah, ah, uh-huh. ah, oh. ah, like he has a great laugh. I was just say I remember watching this as a kid, and there are two things that I or three things that I remember vividly: monkey brains, um, the scene with the bugs of uh, her in the, with the bugs, and then you can't unsee this: him laughing with a flaming heart, uh, flaming with heart. a flaming heart. <laughs> yeah, it's hard to forget. It's tremendous. Yeah, this, this is fucking cinema. <laughs> <laughs> this is entertainment. <laughs> it's fantastic. But then I remarked while I was watching the movie last night that it's like, after after all the fireworks are done, they all just kind of like yeah. chill out a bit, and then they just kind of like you going to Chipotle after they, this? Yeah, or? they just kind of like the way the way I described it to the girlfriend is it's like oh it's like a bunch of kids going back to class after an assembly. Yeah, it really does. <laughs> like That's even their posture, perfect. they look kind of put out, just like well, fuck, we gotta go yeah. back to the gym. <laughs> I mean, that is, I mean. Everything else is down. Like it's I all... mean, what else do you do with that day? Yeah. <laughs> like, it, you peaked. That's it. I <laughs> mean, go, go to bed. <laughs> I go for a jog, maybe. I think that's pretty much all you can do. I mean, really, you're not gonna you're not gonna reach that high again that day, anyway. Yeah, like, but no. yeah, they all disperse, and uh, we see the Sankara stones, and we see that they have three of them. 
and they have an enclosure for them that's a giant a stone skull mm-hmm. um, and they're all all the stones are glowing like shining and Indy remarks that the, the legend goes that the diamonds inside the stones light up when they're near each other and both Willie and Short Round are like oh diamonds <laughs> you didn't say nothing about no diamonds <laughs> but then uh, Indy uh, he does the swashbuckler thing of using his whip to swing on down uh, to the altar and he very quickly and cleanly retrieves the Sivalinga stone, the one with the three stripes on it. And uh, we get this big music cue, and like we see it glowing on his face, and he looks so satisfied. Like he's like, yeah, I did it. We happy? Yeah, we happy. And he grabs the other stones while he's at it, and he has this beat where he's like, okay. That's, okay. That was simple. <laughs> yeah, that was easy. But then uh, the movie drops the other shoe, and uh, we hear a whip crack and a child scream. And then he just stops, and he turns, and he's like, "I got him." I mean, like *Lethal Weapon* four. It's like he took my gun apart. It's just one, yeah. one fell swoop, one smooth motion. How, How do you do, do that? that? How do you do that, Raj? How <laughs> do you do that? We should go ask him. Well, let's go ask him. Let's go ask him. <laughs> so Indy does that. He's like, "Huh? Let's go see about them kids." <laughs> Is there a more terrifying stare down from Jet Li in a movie than at that moment after his brother's dead? He looks pissed, <laughs> and he's in the rain. That too. man looks really <laughs> pissed. <laughs> Uh, yeah, no, he, Jet Li, say what you will, he didn't have much dialogue in that movie, he had fantastic presence. Yeah, that, that might, I think we should go ahead and put down the books, that's a master class that's coming up, I think that should probably be next year. Yeah, folks at home, it was pretty close, Lethal Weapon was on the books. I'm kind of regretting it now. Yeah, actually, me too, (laughs) like, like as soon as, anytime we do one of these, I always, like, I'm like, damn, could've done that. Just want to see that Irishman kick in, uh, Riggs at the end of two. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, and all the cops just let it happen. Yeah, <laughs> but um, yeah, uh, Indy has to go investigate, and uh, in the meantime, Willie and Short Round are abducted by a jump scare. I mean, uh, a temple guard. Yeah, um, and then Indy goes down into the basement of the basement. Yeah, <laughs> the basement of the basement. Yeah, uh, which is a mine, and uh, we get to see the the second massively impressive set. Both of these sets are amazing. Yeah, I was gonna say. I think I mean the tem- like the actual temple itself is pretty cool. Yeah. But I think this mine The mine is, is unbelievable. Spared no expense. Yeah, yeah. Th- this mine it's like it's kind of shocking that it's a set. It's like it's so vast. The way they frame it, it's like massive. Yeah. Like you could put the camera anywhere. Yeah. And the attention to detail with the steam vents and all well, the tracks and, I, and the, even the balconies and stuff. I think maybe that's how Spielberg just like was able to spend the money. Because if you think about Jurassic Park, that tree that they're in, that's not a real tree. Oh, yeah. That's a fake fucking tree. It's a fake Kyle. tree, but <laughs> it's fucking... fake fucking tree, Kyle. Well, on VHS, you can't really tell when it actually came C- out. Come on, Kyle. I was a child last C- time C- I watched it on VHS. I saw it as a kid, too. I was, but, I was It's fucking fake. It's <laughs> fucking huge, though. It is huge. Yeah. It is tremendous. Tremendous. Well, I mean, the reason why a lot of filmmakers prefer to shoot on sound stages is control. Uh-huh. Because you have control of the lighting, you have control of the camera positioning. If you need to move a wall, you can move a wall. You can move a wall. Uh, so it gives you limitless options as opposed to shooting outdoors where it's like you're at the mercy of the ele- elements and whatnot. I almost said elephants, <laughs> which are present in this film. Yeah. Um, but yeah, both of these sets are amazing. But when he gets down to the mine, uh, we are reintroduced to Pat Roach, uh, who was, of course, the hulking German brute. Um, from Raiders. Who, oh, he's in uh, he's in uh, face stuff here. Well, yes, yes, he is in brown face in this yes. film. It's 
you know, by today's standards, this would not, this would be an uh-uh-uh moment. Uh, 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 uh. Yeah. But, you know, credit where credit is due, Pat Roach is a tremendous stunt player. He and Harrison Ford clearly have some chemistry with each other. And he has fantastic comedic timing. To Spielberg's credit, yes, it's reprehensible that he has this character in the face. But he does have a lot of Indian actors. Like, there's a lot of yes. Indian actors in this. Oh, yeah. yeah. Like, virtually everyone else. I don't know about those guys with the white body paint. Yeah, I don't know about those guys, yeah. <laughs> but most most of the other people, yes, they're so Indian. He could find he could have found a hulking brute, but at least he did do most of the casting. And you know, honestly, I do think it's very cute. That's the the same big fucking guy from the previous film. It kind of would have been funny if it was just him, like he like it, <laughs> it's the same, just Nazi. the same dude. But <laughs> like you just like dress him up in the in, in the outfit, but don't paint him. It would have been kind of funny. Yeah, it's like hang on. What? What are you doing here? <laughs> How did I was I was a German defector. <laughs> Somehow I find it into India. <laughs> did you ever see Maverick, the Mel Gibson movie where he's the gambler? No, but uh, a good friend of mine who I used to work for was a big fan of it. I've watched it a lot as a kid, but there is a moment where somebody's uh, robbing a bank, and this is well after Lethal Wet One. I think this is like in between three and four, maybe. Mm. Um, but somebody's robbing a bank, and uh, Mel Gibson just like. Like he kind of recognizes the dude, and he pulls down his handkerchief. He's like, "Hey!" And it's Danny Glover, and oh. they and they do like a, no, like that's no. cute. Yeah, it's just a funny little gag in the I middle of the movie. I loved you in Wall Street. <laughs> <laughs> I love your Vietnam movie. <laughs> yeah, basically. But, um, yeah, Indy gets pissed at the sight of, I mean, Pat Roach and Brown faces enough to get angry, but, yeah. <laughs> but it's like that's not allowed. Yeah. You can't do that. No, we have a full-blown child slavery uh workforce here oh yeah they're getting whipped it's pretty un- it's pretty unsettling yeah as well. it, it's it, you know i think it's good character building where it's like you know indeed not only has a conscience but like when it comes to stuff like this that like he gets pissed yeah and also the short should. rounds backstory is that the Japanese bombed Shanghai and he became an orphan yeah and was caught pickpocketing pocketing Indiana Jones so he has a connection. He has sympathy for a child from this sort of background. So yeah. to, to see see them being brutalized in this way sets him off. So he like probably wrongheadedly tosses a rock down in there. Yeah, uh, he's got great aim. I was watching this. I was like, I wanted to see the angle at which he's gonna hit this dude. And I'm like, he's not gonna hit that dude. But oh, he cl- he clocks him. Oh yeah, he clocks him. But he makes all the guards aware of his presence, and he is very quickly captured. Dude, the amount of guards that this place has. It's insane how many guards this place has. Yeah. It's I easily 100 dudes. Like, n- no no question. It's kind of funny, because the way they do their, their makeup uh, made me almost think of uh, the Disney's Pinocchio. Like the, what was it, the Pleasure Island? Have you oh, seen that one, Kyle? The, the original? Yeah. Oh, yeah, I've seen that. Yeah, it's terrifying. It, it, it's terrifying to a kid in, in a similar way where I'll, I'll never forget in that one. I mean, the kid turning into a donkey, fuck. That was fuck like that. That's on the level of quicksand. But in addition to that, though, all the people that are like rounding up the kids and putting them in cages in that movie, they're just like black shapes. They're not people. They're they're just like big things that are they're ushering them along. And and the imagery in Temple of Doom kind of reminds me of that, where it's like they all have face paint and turbans and and robes and stuff, so they they look subhuman to some degree. Yeah, I think the, what bothered me as a kid was like it felt like animal cruelty to me. Not so much that kids were turning into donkeys. It was more I was upset by them like just 
taking all these donkeys and loading them into cages. And that's fucked up. I just didn't like the transformation because it's, it's violent. It is. It is very. It unsettling. looks deeply unpleasant. It, yeah, <laughs> it doesn't look not happy times. Um, but yeah, they, everybody gets captured. So yes. all of our heroes are captive, and then uh, we have a little audience with a couple of the other kids in the cages, and the one is like, "I just want to die." Yeah, that's pretty bad when you meet a kid who's like, "I just want to die, dude." I'm, you just started, but yeah. sure. Um, yeah, that, that means things are pretty bad. But uh, this is where we're introduced to the concepts of the black sleep of the Kalima and the blood of the Kali, which follows ingestion of the blood of the Kali. Um, Let's get our master plan from the villain. Yes, we have an interrogation and a torture sequence. But, mm, lethal weapon connection. <laughs> I was like, this feels like, this feels like uh, when he meets uh, Thulsa Dune in uh, Conan, where he's like brought in front of him. <laughs> you took my father's sword. <laughs> you killed my father. You killed my people. <laughs> oh, must have been in my younger days. Yeah, but yeah. To me, it was Tuesday. Yeah, to me, <laughs> it was Tuesday. <laughs> oh man, I've been trying to get into the Halloween spirit. It's fucking sept. It's you know September. Uh, but yeah, I've been meaning to dust off uh, that first. Showtime. <laughs> <laughs> the Adams family, folks. If yes. you're not aware. Um, um, but yeah, Kyle, you want to walk blood, us through this uh, torture sequence here? I was almost dry heaving during this part uh, because of the... Uh, we have to feed Harrison, Harrison Ford, Indy, uh, blood from this skull. And this is some thick-ass, syrupy, gross-looking blood. I'm like, Ugh, just, <laughs> just fucking disgusting. Um, but yeah, I guess the blood is supposed to like put him in a trance or like... like uh, it's t- the black sleep of the Kalima! Uh, yeah, and then we get a voodoo doll, yes, which I don't think is a part of Indian lore. No. I don't know. I don't think it reached there. I know it's definitely like, uh, like maybe in the it's Caribbean. Like of Caribbean. Yeah. yeah, but I think it also came from someplace. Like it's also mentioned in other parts. But I, 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 I don't think they have voodoo fucking magic, man. <laughs> yeah. No, I've always associated with uh, yeah the Caribbean. Uh, but I'm not entirely positive. I, I don't know. Point is, it's black magic. Yeah, it's it's a a, a doll that yes. is shaped like Indiana Jones that uh, the Maharaja uses to torture him. So is the kid possessed or is the kid just part of this? The kid drank the blood. Okay, he did. So the way it's explained is if you drink the blood of Kali, you go into the black sleep, which we see Indy do right after this scene, and then you're basically hypnotized. You're a zombie. Yeah. Um, the we way pl- it's explained is it's like you're alive, but you're in a nightmare that never ends. That sounds awful. Yeah. Um, is the glasses guy, is he back down here yet? Not yet. Okay. Uh, he shows up right after this, but yeah, uh, Harrison Ford, he tries to fight back when they, obviously he spits out the blood, because who the fuck wants that in their mouth? I, but, do not. Uh, I love when Pat Roach walks up to him in preparation, and there's just this beat, and I think it was improvised, because Harrison Ford is strapped to a pole, and he's just like... Hi. <laughs> and he's got this big hulking brute staring him down. It's perfect. Uh, I mean, he's such a charming actor, but um, they use the voodoo doll to uh, torture Indy by holding it over an open flame. And uh, Short Round tries to get in the mix. And uh, we get both of our heroes, both Short Round and Indy, both whipped for kids. Yeah. Um, and then Indy, uh, through combination of the fire torture and the whipping, uh, he ingests the blood and the whole plot of the thuggy cult of Mularam is basically they want to stamp out all the other religions somehow take control of people using this blood and then conquer the world what's kind of interesting about the plot of it is even as a kid I never thought it was a 
legit threat. I was like, that's that's not gonna happen. That's dude. not gonna happen. Yeah. Dude. There's a lot of people with guns who aren't gonna be happy about that. Yeah, this <laughs> might work here, but no, you you're not gonna you're not gonna make it through America. But in context, like like just based in Indiana Jones's perspective, it doesn't matter. Mm-mm. Point is, there's a bunch of kids who are in trouble, and there's a village that needs its stone back. Yeah, and the the stakes of the story are much smaller than most other Indiana Jones movies, but um, no less dire. Yeah, I, I was gonna say no less dire. Yeah, um, but yeah, Indy goes into the black sleeve. Some fun acting stuff from Harrison Ford thrashing around. He makes noises that no grown man should make, uh, which you know not all actors would allow themselves to be seen making on film (laughs) i think that there's a time and a place for harrison ford to be evil like he he does find him what lies beneath like that's that's pretty he's the bad guy in that i remember that Uh, it's fine um but he's like his bad guy is very much like um like a a suit or uh or like a a commander of some kind like He's, he's better at being cold than he is being maniacal and him being maniacal is not it does not translate like this him being possessed is just the, one of the goofiest things it's goofy it doesn't last long though. yes thank it, god yes I, I think they got wise to that fact like he just seems too nice yeah no. <laughs> he's way too handsome to be mean i'm, like, I, I'm <laughs> sure he's an asshole uh and sometimes but you have to play you have to like jack nicholson like he's an asshole he plays asshole so well let harrison ford be asshole like, yeah. that that's how you make him a bad guy yeah um, but now Indy is possessed, basically, and uh, he's under the thrall of Malaram, and uh, we have set up Willy. Uh, we've prepped her for sacrifice. Um, and this is where Chowder Ball makes his reappearance. Uh, he's got himself a snazzy purple robe. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but uh, they're all back at the altar. All the, all the thuggy cult members are doing their chanting again, and we keep cross-cutting back and forth between that and Short Round uh, in the mines working and being beat. Um, but he manages to break free and my girlfriend was like really engaged in the movie at this point because she was like how how is this gonna how are we gonna fix this because it's really broken right now it's gonna take 40 minutes but yeah it's gonna get undone well what what i came to realize was like in this moment it's actually kind of amazing that it's like wow short round is literally the only option at this point Mm -hmm. like he is the only hope because we see that like indy's not he's in a different place like he is unreachable because willie is begging with him he's even commanded to strap her into the cage Mm -hmm. and she slapped she like she spits in his face and he just smiles at it he's a zombie so we keep cutting back and forth between that and short round and short round makes his way through the mind we get a really awesome stunt of uh, him climbing up a ladder and then riding the ladder backwards and uh, grabbing hold of a rope as it's falling I'm not sure if it was done with like a little person or something, but whoever did that stunt, good on you. Looked fantastic, and I love just the shot of him uh, getting his bag together at the at the entrance of the mine, and all the kids cheering at him. There's just this one shot where he looks past the camera, and he he has this look like he looks like Indiana Jones, mm. like just minus the hat. He he looks like oh he's sw- swinging into action. Yeah, except as a little kid, and it works really really well. But. Um, I noticed a weird uh, continuity thing hmm. where Short Round gets to the altar as they're lowering Willie down into the, the lava whirlpool. And I noticed um, he just appears next to Indy. Like, just between two shots, he, he goes from behind the altar to just at at his side. Hmm. But then I noticed, like, behind him, there's a couple of guards. Like, like, one's keeled over and another one's, like, holding his arm. Oh. 
I think there was like a bit of action cut or something. Hmm. Like he subdued them and then he went to Andy. Okay. But it's it's just really weird. He just teleports next to Andy. <laughs> Probably just a cut made for timing purposes or something. Like it just remember, Willie's being lowered into a lava pit. We gotta keep things snappy. You know, Willie makes it out of this. She would be medium rare. Like she would have been cooked. Remember do you remember Silent Hill? Yeah. Remember how far away from that fire that woman was being held? Yeah. And she still caught fire? Yeah. No, Willie... Lava is considerably hotter than that. <laughs> yes, and it's also contained. It's not just lava out in the open. Like, you can go up to lava. Like... Yeah, metal conducts heat, too. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, she would have been She would have been dead. Oh, he, most, yeah. most certainly. Yeah. But um, Short Round tries to get Indy's attention, and then Indy backhands him. That's pretty, uh, yeah, that's it's upsetting. It's nasty. Like, it's upsetting, especially because quality of the acting the performance the the kid falls down and like he's got tears coming down his face it's like ooh, i felt that yeah, one you, yeah that, that um, hurt. But, then, but then he grabs hold of a torch and it's so it's so precious he, he's crying because he just got fucking bashed in the face and he holds the torch up to indy and he says indy i love you and then he burns him <laughs> like i love you you're my friend and he burns him but then it causes indy to come back to his senses which mm-hmm. is Girlfriend again pointed out that's a little lazy. Yeah. <laughs> like in terms of solutions to like hyp- hypnotism or whatever, it's kind of lame. I mean, well, it's expedient, is what it is. It's expedient, but it like it probably it probably I could see it, it. It makes enough sense for me. I'm I'm okay with it. Yeah, because you get burnt. I'm like, what, what the hell? Yeah, you, yeah, you wake up. <laughs> I mean, Richard Pryor literally has a in one of his stand-up specials after he set himself on fire. He's just like. I was drunk and I set myself on fire and he's like, it sobers you up quick. <laughs> <laughs> okay. If Richard Pryor signs off on the Temple of Doom's logic, I'll allow it. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, uh, Indy comes back to his senses and uh, we get a big fight scene on the altar. And like I said, I, I noticed that Harrison Ford is a little stiff during the fisticuffs in this moment. And I want to say it's because he was post-back surgery. Because... Um, you know, films are shot out of order. This was maybe something they come came back to after he came back from his injury. Um, but yeah, some people get thrown into the lava pit below. It's pretty great. Um, Malaram goes into a trap door that is clearly a dummy. Like, is clearly a dummy falling into the floor and rolling under the altar. Like, even, even as a kid, I was just like, that doesn't look right. <laughs> like, like, that's a big guy. He shouldn't move that fast. Um, but then uh, Chatter Lao... Uh, shows up and he gets a music cue and something about the combination of the music cue and his general feebleness i was like he is so unthreatening <laughs> like he has a knife but he doesn't handle it well he's a small he's guy he's very small yeah. like small in terms of both height and girth like he's not big and he's got this knife he doesn't handle it well and the music's kind of like hitting the wrong tones i i can't quite explain it but he's... folks at home if you if you rewatch the scene, you'll know what I'm talking about. He's like the same height as that the number two in The Lost World that's with uh, Pete Postlewaite the whole time. Yeah, RJ. RJ. RJ, yeah. RJ, yeah. don't go into the long grass. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know why that is a quote that has stuck with me all this time. I'll, I'll be walking down the street and say it. Like, I'll just be like, not into the long grass. I, same here. Yeah. But, yeah. And somehow we both remember his name. Yeah, RJ. That man who had three lines in The Lost World. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, Pete Postlethwaite really liked RJ. Yeah, he did. He really missed RJ. He did. He was deeply upset when RJ ate shit. <laughs> mm. 
But I got a theory. I'm gonna talk to you after this about that. Okay. But uh, yeah, Chatter Lal has a, a little throwdown with Indy again. I'm sorry. There's even a moment where he is he's passing the knife between hands, and he, he's got like his tongue sticking out. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, oh, this guy doesn't know what he's doing. No, you, are, <laughs> you are about to have that knife in you. I mean, at that point, it's like you know. I, even me. No, wait, stop, 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 I'm not a tough guy, but it's like, I, I would put up my dukes and be like, okay. Yeah. <laughs> like, okay, I'm very comfortable with this. Yeah, I think I got, I think I got this. <laughs> but um, he gets, oh, he gets got. It's tasty. So the, the mechanism that moves the cage is a big, imagine like a, a wheel for a, a old galleon, like an old pirate ship. I don't think anybody listening to this is unfamiliar with the film. Um, yeah. <laughs> but anyway, he get, he gets punched and he falls onto the thing. And he get, he's between two of the knobs. Yeah. And he gets jammed between one of the knobs and the stone floor, and you just hear a crunch and the gurgle he makes after. <laughs> he gurgles. <laughs> I mean that. Ooh, <laughs> like, that's tasty. I mean he's moving afterwards, so I, I think he's alive. Yeesh. But he's not happy. <laughs> when he's in there, he ain't happy. <laughs> Major pain, folks. Check it out. Um, but yeah, they retrieve Willie and girlfriend called it. She, she was like, oh, she's going to hit him. <laughs> like, like, have to after Easily. all that nonsense. Yeah, she gives him a slap, gives him a smooch. And then we get one of my favorite bits in the movie, maybe in heroic cinema history. Um, so she's like, okay, let's get out of here, Indy. Now that everybody's free and he's back to his senses. And he's like, right, all of us. Cut to the mines. And then th- this shot just panning up the length of Harrison Ford like he's standing at an angle and he has like this gorgeous eye light and um, one of the stronger musical themes in the movie kicks in and like one of the guards is like busy beating on one of the kids and sees him and walks up to him and you don't even see the punches thrown you just hear him this guy goes fucking flying of course yeah (laughs) but just that shot of Harrison Ford it's like if you're going to take your if you're going to take my hero away from me and give back one Kadam. <laughs> like, this is how you do it. Yeah. It's like, he's back! And then you get that one moment where it's like, he is, he is at the peak of his powers and then immediately taken down a few pegs because he has to fight Pat Roach. Yeah. <laughs> um, Again. But yeah, uh, we, we have this really awesome musical theme that plays for when the kids are all being freed. Uh, kid power. Yeah. <laughs> There's a lot of kids uh, doing practical jokes on adults, although with rocks. Like, think Home Alone, but with rocks. <laughs> so, the brick scene from Home Alone 2. Um, but all the kids are being freed, and uh, all the guards are dispatched for the most part, except for the biggest one. Uh, and then we have a big fucking throwdown. And like I said, this whole sequence was largely filmed with uh, Vic Armstrong, who is Harrison Ford's stunt double. Is this the conveyor, the conveyor belt fight? Correct. Yeah. So this then, is a very long fight. It's very long. It's uh, fantastic, though. I love it. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's super long. We got that little shit with the voodoo doll yes. uh, messing with him while he's trying to do this fight. Um, the conveyor belt fight is fine. Uh, I was looking forward to the uh, the mine the mine cart part. I like the conveyor belt fight because it again. I want to say Steven Spielberg could have been a good wrestling booker. 
Because, like, the, the, balancing all the elements in the room, where it's, like, he, he has Willie not engaged physically, but she's, like, handing props to Indy. Mm-hmm. Like, try this. <laughs> like, and he bashes the guy in the leg with, like, a box or, or like, a bucket or something. And then, Use like, the chair! And then there's that bit really early on where, like, Willie's holding short round back. And he's like, no, you can't. That guy's way too big. Don't yeah. get in there. And then, like, Indy gets picked up, like, Fireman Carry style. Mm-hmm. And she's like... Okay, go help. <laughs> then short round. This is where short rounds hitting hitting Pat Roach with his own whip, and he's like, "I kill you," <laughs> and it doesn't do anything. No, it just obviously. gets tossed. But um, yeah, there's uh, two duels happening at the same time. So Pat Roach is having fisticuffs with Harrison Ford, and a uh, short round. Uh, my God, the the water pulley mechanism. They built that shit, dude. Mm. Like he he ascends like a, a water pole. oh yeah that's right yeah that, it's so intricate it's, again the set is incredible um he rides it up to like a balcony area in the mine where uh, the maharaja is using the voodoo doll to cheat again like wrestling booking it's like oh my god pocket sand <laughs> like you can't do that that's against the rules <laughs> so, um so we have short round fighting the maharaja while pat roach is fighting harrison ford and uh Every time the voodoo doll gets poked, Indy falters in the fight. So we can see that it's like, oh, you know, he probably could beat this guy, just not when he's constantly in pain from getting stabbed in the back via voodoo doll. Mm -hmm. But there's this awesome shot where we, like, do a whip pan from short round punching the Maharaja and Indy doing the exact same thing to Pat Roach on the conveyor. And and the the Raiders march kicks in. It's it's phenomenal. Um, And... Do you want to tell the folks at home what what happens to the biggest goon on the conveyor? Oh, does he just get crunched up? Oh yeah, his uh, turban gets caught in the in in the rock crush. Oh, I didn't catch that detail. I just like oh he's I'm just like okay he's gonna go into the conveyor conveyor belt thing. Yeah, I didn't no, catch it, that. I mean it's obvious. Just like the plane, you kind of piece it together before yeah. it happens, but it's very satisfying when it does. Because yeah. again, Indy gets his licks in, and then they both stand up and the goofy bit where. The guy picks up a rock over his head to smash Indy with, and Indy hits him like under the armpits with a pair of buckets, and then he drops the rock on yeah. his head. That works, yeah. <laughs> Physics. <laughs> what goes up must come down. Uh, and then, yeah, his uh, part of his robe gets caught in the, the rock crusher, and he gets pulled into it. And it's, it's not a terribly gruesome death, but when you think about what it would be, it is a gruesome death. <laughs> um, but yeah, uh, there's actually one bit in there where. Uh, Harrison Ford gets punched in the chest and he just gives this like (gasps) (laughs) and just the look on his face is perfect Um, but the Maharaja is brought back to his senses via torch because short round already knows that that works to bring people back to their senses and the key word is the left tunnel take the left left tunnel tunnel. to get out you must take the left tunnel they don't take the left tunnel they take the right tunnel (laughs) um second favorite line in the movie first is we are going to die mm-hmm. frowny face second is immediately after indy kills the the giant fella on the conveyor he points it short round from across the room he says shorty quit fooling around with that kid <laughs> <laughs> again he's in dad mode <laughs> uh, he just saved you indy but that's what makes it work he's like quit fooling around with that kid <laughs> he's like you playing jacks over there or some shit we're horsing around over there no. <laughs> So, uh, from there we go to the minecart chase, guy. Yeah. And you said you had a few comments about this. Oh, not really. It's just awesome. Uh, like it, it goes. It's really long, surprisingly, 
And it doesn't feel like it's like a, a Scooby-Doo cartoon where it's just like the same, them running over the same frame. Like it actually feels like it's really extensive. And I feel like it was probably difficult to do. Oh, incredibly difficult. Yeah. Very time consuming. Um, and yeah, surprisingly long. Yeah. Like, like as I was watching it this most recent time, I was like, oh shit. This, it's like, it's a good four, I think good four or five minutes. It, it doesn't overstay its welcome. I was actually applauding it for how much they got in there. Yeah. Because you're, you're absolutely right. It, something like that would be in danger of getting repetitive. Yeah. Like even just on a technical level where it's like, I've seen that before. Like I've seen that corner before. It's like, no, you never get that sense. Or it's so easily could have just been green screen. Like we just have, or green screen or blue screen, whatever you want to call it. And then yeah, just in the cart with it just like. Sitcom, yeah, you know. Just bounce, yeah, like it's, it's like Seinfeld driving. Yeah, yeah it, it, it's it, like Seinfeld driving. No, they don't do that. They, they use a wide variety of technologies to bring it to life. So many that I don't even know if my eyeball picked up on all of it. A lot of it is miniatures. Mm-hmm. Uh, and puppets, your favorite. Yes. Um, very, very uh, interestingly, like articulated and motorized puppets, because there's a lot of long shots where it's like, okay, the minecart is on the rail and it's it's a moving object. It's not stop motion. That's that's playing out live in front of the camera. But the puppets, the figures in the minecart, are doing like human movements. Yeah. Now it's really intricate stuff. Um, and then there's a lot of like first person shots like that really show off like the speed and mm-hmm. the danger of being on this this minecart. Um, and just the seamless integration of the live action shots. They built an actual track with actual life size props around the whole set. Um, and they could only film so many feet of it at a time, so they had to move walls around and change lighting to fake to like create the illusion of additional twists and turns. Uh, really intricate stuff. Uh, as far as I understand, this was the sequence that kind of got them the Oscar for visual effects. I see that. Um, really amazing lighting, though. That's that's one thing that I, I can't praise enough with this film. It's like maybe the most uh, experimental and creative <clears throat> in terms of lighting arrangements of all the Indiana Jones movies. Like really, really cool stuff. Like, like next time you watch it maybe pay attention to that kind of detail because it, it really adds a lot to the experience but yeah really awesome choreography as always like just like the truck chase they use every element in the room and mm-hmm. then some like ev- every idea you could come up with they they pretty much touch on it how did they get to the end I, I i must have looked down or like went to grab something because i turned back around and they're like uh there's like indy's like standing outside the wall like where the water is I'm like what the hell happened i, I uh, so they're being pursued by two separate mine cards. And yeah. by the way, it's impossible as an adult to watch this without thinking about Donkey Kong yeah. Country. Yeah, Donkey Kong Country. <laughs> yeah. um, th- so there's two carts chasing them. The first one they subdue by dropping a plank of wood in front of it. And it uh, it gets pushed along by the wheels for a time, but then it gets caught on one of the tunnels and it does a front flip. Um, and then the second cart comes along, and they're all shooting at our heroes and stuff. It's really exciting stuff. At one point, they grab Short Round and try to pull him into the neighboring cart. Um, there's, like, lava below and stuff. It's great. Willie gets a really cool moment where Indy's just, like, having a... Kind of similar to the, the the one Nazi at the end of the truck chase. It's like, this guy just will not go down. Like, mm-hmm. I just cannot figure this guy out. He's got my number. And he's spending, like, a whole minute tussling with this guy. And then Willie just kind of, like crawls up and just the only punch she throws in the whole movie just catches him clean in the face he falls backwards and then the mine cart behind him runs over him and they both both he and the cart fly off the rails and into a chasm it's 
pretty the timing is pretty spectacular it's kind of like rachel vice's only like violent moment in the mummies where she just eye gouges that dude in the car just the, real quick just, the, 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 just real quick yeah. <laughs> yeah that was great she just gets that one um but the way that this ends is we're cutting back and forth between the mind chase and malaram uh ordering his men to knock over like a, a water reservoir in the mine so it causes this big tidal wave of water to go okay. down the mine tunnels and uh, we run out of track because we come to a dead end. Um, and we basically get Spider-Man 2 before Spider-Man 2. I've only seen it the one time. I don't remember. So the break is out uh, because... Obviously. It, of course. Obviously. <laughs> I mean, it was never going to work. Yeah. <laughs> I'm amazed they even had a break. Yeah, yeah, that, break that break wasn't going to work. Uh, so Indy does his indie shit. He improvises. He gets out... He crawls out in front of the minecart and he puts his, oh, his yes, shoes. That's right. He puts his shoes against the wheels. Can't believe I forgot that. Yeah. And they grind down to like I'm guessing his feet, yeah. um, and it causes like his shoes to catch fire. But they stop. Like he manages to stop them enough that they don't crash to their doom. And then he's calling for water, water, and then tidal wave, water, <laughs> and then they all run. Um, and then they get to the exterior of the mine where the water spouts out and blows out the wall and stuff and. Uh, then we get to the bridge. Yeah, uh, I do like the alligator bridge. Okay, this is where it started. It 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 started becoming a little tedious for me. Like it was just like okay, like there was so much packed into the last like fifteen minutes of the movie. So once we get to the bridge, and now there's more stuff to do. I'm like okay. Yeah, my, folks at home, the reason why we're not talking much about dialogue in the second half is because there there's, ain't none. There's nothing. Yeah, yeah. It, it, we it's gotta, all action. We gotta go. All... Yeah, I love the alligator bridge. Like, uh, Shorty's just like, come on, we get, we're just gonna go across this bridge. She starts to go across it. She's like, no, 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 I'm not gonna do that. <laughs> and he's just like, popping, like, like bouncing on each individual piece of wood. And then, of course, like the third one he hits, it just breaks. And yeah. there's like an alligator, like, what was it, like 30 alligators down at the bottom? Like, it looks like hell. No, it, it's pretty great. He's like, it's very strong wood. Don't worry about it. And then it breaks. Yeah, it just breaks. <laughs> I love that she's like pulling him back up onto the bridge. And uh, it's a callback to a joke that is revisited numerous times. Whenever something bad happens to Willie, short rounds is very funny. <laughs> and he laughs and points. This time when she's pulling him up, he's like, not, that not funny. Not funny. <laughs> <laughs> um, my God, Kyle, watching the behind the scenes on this, it's like, oh shit, this was 1984. Oh shit! They built that bridge. Yeah, they literally built that bridge, and they literally all the people on shooting this movie had to go out on that bridge. And I look at that bridge, and I'm like, I don't know if I could. I don't. Yeah. Steven Spielberg himself could not. I wouldn't. Yeah, I wouldn't. He, he said he could go like forty, like forty feet in. And he's ah, I'm good. Yeah. Like, he's like cameraman, you go do it for me. Like, <laughs> I, we got radios. Why? Why? Why else do we have radios? Wear a parachute. <laughs> But yeah, like to some of the long shots, some of the some of the really pulled back glamour shots of this bridge, it's like, holy fucking shit! Yeah, that is a real functional bridge that they blew up. Well, it was a real bridge. We don't know how functional it might have been. No, it was functional. Was it functional? No, they built this. This bridge did not exist in this location until they built it for the movie. But and did anybody walk all the way across it with confidence? Harrison Ford sprinted across it day one. Okay. Because. He apparently he said I'm Indiana Jones and Indiana Jones has to be able to do that. That's so, true. So he he held his machete aloft and just ran. And Steven Spielberg was like, <clears throat> All right, <clears throat> no. Uh, well, maybe if Kate Capshaw asked him to. Yeah. That uh, would that would have been the difference maker, I think. I suppose. Yeah. I see that. But yeah. He has gone on record saying he never actually walked the full length of the bridge. 
<laughs> but uh, yeah, before we get on the bridge, though, we do have a callback to the uh, the swordsman from Raiders, where uh, Indy is set upon by a couple of uh, thuggy clansmen that uh, both are wielding swords, and he reaches casually for his revolver. It's not th- there. That if you're paying attention, the beginning of the movie is not there. And then uh, he subdues them and then runs into the foreground. And uh, this is a callback to Star Wars A New Hope. Uh, different character, similar gag. We're at Han Solo running down the, the halls of the Death Star. Oh, yeah. Very similar thing where he, Indy's like feeling good about himself. He's swinging a machete around. And then he's like, ah, oh, that's a lot more people than I thought. <laughs> and then he runs back and we see like a whole truckload of bad guys chasing after him. It's pretty great. But... Um, yeah, the finale of the movie happens on this gigantic bridge uh, hanging over a chasm with water beneath, and uh, our heroes are pincered. We're Malarom's at one end, a bunch of goons are at the other end, and our heroes are kind of in the middle. Mm-hmm. And uh, the plan is there is no plan because it's Indiana Jones. <laughs> so Malarom wants the stones that Indiana Jones has. Um, I really love the line where he, Indy's threatening to dump the stones in, in the river, and... Uh, Malaram just tells him, like, stones will be found. You won't. <laughs> so the point is, he's basically saying, like, given enough time, we'll, we'll still win out in the end. So that's not a good plan on your part. Oh, by the way, we still have more guns than you. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, Indy cuts the bridge, and uh, this, again, they actually blew this bridge. Um, there were no actual human beings on the bridge when it was detonated, uh, but they that's do good. sever it in the middle, and they apparently... Uh, pioneered like they they innovated some motorized dummies that could flail their limbs <laughs> in a realistic human fashion and i will give them credit these dummies do look pretty spot on um but yeah the bridge gets cut in half and uh everybody swings from the bridge and uh the bridge like settles against the like the like cliff side i guess you'd call it yeah and uh yeah our our finale is kind of like I don't know, American Gladiators or Nickelodeon Guts or something. <laughs> like, climbing some sort of big ladder against oh, yeah. a wall and throwing each other off. <laughs> uh, lots of dudes get thrown down into the river below and get eaten by alligators. Uh, could use some more gore, actually, for those gators. Yeah. Because they're, they're, it's clearly just cloth that they're yeah. biting at. It's like, eh, I need some meat. Don't, yeah, maybe a bloody hand, just something. If you're going to show me a heart rip... Yeah. You can show me some chicken meat or something in the water. Yeah, you can do that. Yeah, come on, man. (laughs) Um, But yeah, Indy and Malaram slug it out um, a couple of times. We get a call back to the heart rip. Mm -hmm. He actually tries to go for Indy's heart. Yeah, he tries to get Indy's heart. Um, But then he does the stop hitting yourself routine with Malaram. (laughs) It's pretty cute. Um, But uh, the finale of this movie to this day... I don't know what happens. I don't know what this is supposed to be. Yeah, no, I pretty much was I was pretty much like checked out at this point. I'm like, okay, it's pretty much done. All the all the good stuff's over. This used to be a uh, a cell phone ringtone for my friend who he knows who he is. Uh, it's the I'm guessing it's Hindi. Uh, it's he says a prayer. So they're they're both fighting over the bag of Sankara stones. Mm-hmm. He says, "You betrayed Shiva," and he he hits some tones that he sa- he sounds very strange <laughs> um, as Harrison Ford. Saying, Shiva gave and he keeps saying it, and it's like, I, one, I don't know what you mean by be, you betrayed Shiva. Two, I don't know what any of that language is supposed to be, 
and then three the rocks are glowing and catching fire and then he's banking on Malaram catching one of them and burning himself and falling to his doom I don't know why you wouldn't just hit the guy instead of saying weird prayers and causing stones to light up classic nut shot that'll drop any any guy I don't care how big he is man it it works there is yeah there is a uh, (laughs) there is a fail safe uh, in every dude (laughs) called the ball sack and it will drop anybody it's an off switch yeah (laughs) as simple as that yeah it's really simple but yeah, I to this day I still don't. Really, this is not explained at all in the movie. It it, it just comes out of nowhere. It's an ending. <laughs> but yeah, Malram burns his hand catching one of the glowing stones. The other two fall into the river. By the way, uh, hopefully there aren't two other villages that are desperately needing those. Right. <laughs> but uh, yeah, Malram falls to his doom. Uh, we get a really interesting effect shot of him not only falling but like bouncing off the the cliffside on his way down uh, he gets eaten by some gators and uh of all things the brits arrive to save the day. yeah right <laughs> yeah they even get like a, a proud like i don't know music cue of sorts like it's a heroic music cue that's like i don't know about that i don't know man. about that it's yeah. like i'm happy to see him but not that I'm kind not, of rope. I'm not that happy. It's not like the, the, the Marines and SEALs that show up at the end of Jurassic Park 3. I'm like, that I get. Yeah. Yeah, it, it, very different. Because, like, you know, that's like... Dinosaurs and the Marines don't really have any history with each other. Yeah. <laughs> the, the Brits... The British Royal Army... Royal yeah. Yeah, the Brits and the Indians... Uh, it's a little different that's story. a little different, yeah. <laughs> um, but, yeah, they show up and they shoot all the thuggy... Um, and uh, yeah, everything's safe. Indy gets the stone back, and uh, we ha- head back to the village. And e- bef- as soon as we get to the village, the color palette is changed. Like there, there's foliage. Everything's bright, yeah, shiny, nice. and clean. Everything's nice. And uh, all the kids come back with Indy, and all the Scooby Squad, and all the villagers are happy. Uh, the Raiders March is playing over the sequence. It's a very, it's a very feel good ending. Yeah, like it feels like a very heroic, proud ending to a movie. And uh. <laughs> I think the last thing that happens in the movie is some uh, final flirtations between our two leads. Uh, He'll close later. Oh, most definitely. He'll close later. Most definitely. But that'll be the end of that. Yeah, (laughs) that'll be about it. (laughs) Um, And yeah, Short Round gets in another very funny. And uh, we get our end credits, which, to be honest, like I don't know if I do this with all the Indiana Jones movies, but uh, I play out the credits for this one a lot because really? because i really like the music yeah because we revisit all the major like it's tradition like you typically revisit all the major melodies of of the full film yeah during the final piece of music that plays over the credits but just something about the way it's all seamlessly in- integrated i feel like it's exceptional it's hmm. like raiders has the march but then it has like marion's theme which is a very good piece of music but it has a different energy to it it kind of it's like a lull whereas this one it's like short rounds theme is seamlessly integrated into indie's theme and then the the children's march plays over it as well and it's like it all it flows really beautifully it's like it's just an awesome piece of music that kind of represents the movie as a whole so even last night and even this morning i just kind of let it play play. out like that's very rare for me to just let the credits roll so i never watch the credits even if it's like mcu i'm checking my phone waiting for (laughs) thanos to show back up or nick fury (laughs) i've never never listened to the credits (laughs) uh but yeah that was indiana jones and the temple of doom from 1984 directed by one steven spielbergo and of course headlined by one harrison ford 
Um, any closing comments? No. Uh, I think we pretty much we pretty much covered it all. Still, it goes for me three one two four. I think so far. Yeah, I'm I'm actually very curious how I'm gonna feel about three because mm. I know it's actually become in vogue uh, to put it in that order. Mm -hmm. Like I think in general most people think that way, and I have the strongest personal connection to Raiders, but part of me wants to say that you you're probably right. Yeah. Like like as just a straightforward film going experience, like three is probably the most well rounded. Mm -hmm. God damn, it's got Sean. Yeah, it's got Sean. It's got Sean. Yeah. That counts. That counts for a lot. Yeah, like a lot. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I'm really excited to get back to that one because it's probably been the longest since I've watched that one. Um, and again, it has the best reputation of all of them uh, these days, anyway. Um, but yeah, that being said, uh, thank you so much for listening. Um, you can find all of our catching up on cinema content collected on our website at catchinguponcinema.com. Uh, we also have a couple of social media accounts in the form of an Instagram at Catching Up on Cinema, as well as a Twitter at Catching Cinema. So feel free to hit me up at either of those. Uh, and the podcast is available on pretty much every platform you can imagine, including Cephalopod. So fucking Google it. Google it. With that being said, thank you so much for listening, and we will catch you next time. Bye.